4: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM
5: Alright, don't want to delay uh, more, no more than I need to, let us go straight down to Debenhams on Patrick Street uh, Valerie, you're inside and Madeleine is outside, is that right? Good morning to you Good
3: morning. Good morning, yes, I'm inside
5: Okay Valerie, what can you describe? What First of all, tell me what time you went in, how you got in and all that
3: uh, We got in about To seven this morning.
5: Okay.
3: um, Got in through a window. Right.
5: And who's in there?
3: There's eight of us here two from Trilley, one supporter, and the rest, uh, one from Mountain Point, and the rest are from Cork.
5: Now, in the last while, I think you've been joined by the guards and and by KPMG?
3: Uh, The guards and the security for KPMG, so East Street guards and security from KPMG.
5: Okay, describe the atmosphere for me, Val.
3: It's a, bit, um, it's a bit stressful at the moment, but no, the guards are fine. We're just chatting at the moment, so I can't say anything about them. They're being very friendly, and we're being very friendly. So it's all very civil, like the, like the court guards have been to us all along.
5: What was the point of making your move this morning?
3: Well, as I said to you yesterday, the offer, it's the offer. It's, it's As I said, it's a slap in the face. It was um, an insult, and we just got fed up with it. We were saying they can't treat us like that anymore.
6: Okay. Okay. You
3: know, a, yeah, no, he has. He didn't say that. No, no, he's going to have a chat with him.
5: Okay. Descri- uh, Madeline, you're outside. Uh, dis- I am. Indeed. Describe what you have at your end.
7: Well, I have the speakers here with me, and we're very proud of all that I have gone in. Um, but there's a great atmosphere for the people of Cork. Go here on the streets, and they're very supportive of us, and they understand where we're coming from at this stage after 152 days. Yeah.
5: Now, have you been asked to leave the store, Valerie, or is that discussion? No, no, because yeah. I know that some of your colleagues in Dublin have been arrested, I believe.
3: That's right, yeah.
5: In Henry Street. Yeah. yeah no, there's no sense that that's going to happen, is there?
3: I don't think so, not at, at the present moment anyway.
5: Okay. And the people who are there from KPMG, are, are they willing to talk to you, or are they just there to protect Stockton? Well, I mean, you, you, you bear no ill will towards anybody here. It's just you want your... No,
3: and we've got on very well with security here in Cork, you know, um, for our KPMG. So there's no... As I said, it's a peaceful protest. We're only going to be doing it for two days. We would appreciate it if we're going to be left in for the two days. And that's all we're asking. We just want to show... KPMG and Mandate and everybody else that you have to listen to us. We're not going away. 152 days, we're not going away. And the sooner they get get that into their head, the better.
5: So the plan is, if you're let, to stay?
3: For two days, yeah.
5: Okay. Do you think you will be? How does that...
3: Uh, I don't know.
5: <laughs> you either don't know or you don't think no.
3: <laughs> I suppose I can't see at the moment.
5: <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Madeline. The, the prospects of the lad being left inside for a day or two, what do you think?
3: Well, I
7: just spoke to one of the another guy going in there he's gone in to speak to Valerie just now and he—he we've dealt with him before and he was very positive. I said, you can understand where we're coming from. He said, we do, we support he said. And he said, we understand where you are coming from and he's gone in there to speak to Valerie. So... By going by him? I don't think they will be but I can't say either Peter I, It's out of my hands if you know what I mean
5: Yeah, yeah, well I know that throughout the whole campaign I think your your colleagues in Dublin Valerie made a slightly more negative response from the boys in blue
3: Yes, from day uh, one From day from, one,
5: from did day really one. Yes, yeah. uh, On Henry Street there was a lot of social distance stuff went on and and your gathering or the gathering up there was broken up on the basis right, of covid yeah. restrictions which i suppose yeah. was fair enough but down here you've had a very good relationship back and forth with the guards there and the in the like people forget and maybe it's worth reminding them you've been down that alleyway now for 152 days
3: 52 days yeah exactly
5: and about, really? about how many in total would be there on any one shift
3: there's about 4 to 6 on a shift
5: Right. Right. And tell me about the people that are, I mean, they're, they're obviously family people with loved ones to deal, and they're coming away to do this for hours on end.
3: And that's it, they have, they have school runs now, they have, they all have uh, small kids, a lot of them have small kids, and we put out the call for them this morning to come in here to give, give the girls outside a hand, and they're in straight away. They're, the the picket, no matter what picket you're in, uh, Trillane, Waterford, every one of them are there, and they'll They're they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. They're on call 24-7, and they'll come to everybody's rescue.
4: Are any of the the
5: other shops besides Patrick Street and and Henry Street in Dublin being occupied this morning, or are there plans, do you know?
3: Well, we have two of the girls from Trilly with us here this morning.
5: Okay. Okay. Madeline. it seems like there's a relatively, what you might call, benign atmosphere, but I think people will be concerned as well that they may have to move.
7: Yes, definitely. We were hoping that we'd be left there for the couple of days that they're in there just to, to show that we do need something to be done at this stage and we need the government to step in and help us. We've asked and asked and there's nothing coming forward and I think it's about time they stood up and we have a cork Taoiseach and I think he needs to step in at this stage.
5: See, I think, my Valerie, as we've said and it was discussed on Saturday afternoon as well down at the demonstration, the difficulty here for everybody is nobody has broken any law here. This is the problem.
3: Yeah, exactly. You're not
5: protected by law at all. No,
3: no. No, you know, which is the sad part, really. It's as for
5: as the employer rather than the employee. Yeah, you know. And can I maybe get you to clarify for listeners the, the whole industrial relations process, as I know it, involves the, when the putting of an offer on the table, derisory though you might see it, the offer is put on the table and then it goes to a ballot of the members. Yeah, but there's a stage in between, and I think you're not happy with that.
3: Well, normally you see the states in between. The offer would go to the shop stewards. The shop stewards would say yes or no if it was good enough. And then, if we said yes, it would actually then go to uh, the staff then to ballot.
5: So you and your own shop steward colleagues would have the first refusal, as it were.
3: One, one in each store. Right. So there'd be eleven stores or eleven shop stewards.
5: Right, and and they didn't get that opportunity, it went straight to the workforce.
3: It was but it hasn't been, we haven't heard from Mandate now since the text that we got on Saturday, but other than that we haven't heard from them.
5: Right, right, and what was the nature of the text on Saturday, can you you outline Uh, that?
3: So after they're telling the media about the offer, then that text was about the offer. Yeah.
5: Madeline, maybe you could outline for listeners, again, you know, people who don't engage with this stuff on a daily basis, what's in the offer and why it's such a problem for you to even discuss it? Uh, Madeline, are you there?
7: I'm sorry, I am sorry for this. Yeah,
5: what's in the offer and and why the word you've used is derisory, why?
7: Because they have offered a million euros. Right. A million euros is a day's pay for anybody working in Devon. To
5: be divided between how many people?
7: Just over a thousand people. So
5: that's so, in our, that's a thousand euro each tops.
7: Not even PJ because you go on years of service. Ten years will give us. I'm sorry, ten million would give us. Um, the, ten million will give us the two costume, Five million would give us the one week. Right. So they've offered one day. So you can imagine, I'm full time thirty years service, and I'd be lucky to come up maybe fourteen, fifteen hundred out of that offer.
5: Right. That, that you see, it's when you put it into those kind of brass tacks, figure. cornflake packet figure, that out of this, they put the million euro on the table and, and it all looks, oh, there's a million euro on the table. But talking to someone like you, Madeline, how long did you say you've been there again? 30 years. 30 years. And for that 30 years, worth about fourteen or €1,500 euro to you. I'd be lucky to get
8: that,
5: yeah. yeah. And Valerie, what about yourself? Would that be around the same for you?
3: I'm 24 years and, yeah, it will be the same. Right. it would be one day for it it wouldn't be much
5: you know because I, mean?
3: I only work 16 and a quarter hours
5: right right so it wouldn't yeah. be a whole pile for you at all no
3: no a couple so- hundred
5: Right, So at the moment, the, the situation is calm enough. There's been no yeah. drama like there like there was in Dublin. What I'm going to do is I'm going to leave you guys there for now, right? And if and we're monitoring it. And I think Fiona is down there as well. And we will monitor it uh, throughout the course of, of the next while. If there's any moves and you know where we are, you can let us know. I'll give you back on to, yeah. to Deirdre and Fergal there and see where we go from here. But that's Valerie Connell and Madeline Whelan. Uh, both Debenhams workers uh, Ma- Valerie is inside the Patrick Street store, about eight of them have gotten in this morning with a view to occupying the place for two days and they're presently speaking to KPMG security and to the guards inside uh, the guard here inside the building now their colleagues in Henry Street in Dublin some of them have been arrested, there's been no sign of that happening here in Cork, Madeleine Whelan is outside in the alleyway where the protest has been continuing and we'll know more as the morning uh, progresses, we were breaking down there the figures that are on the table. Mandate have put a million euro on the table to be divided between a thousand people based on their length of service, which means someone like Madeleine, who's got 30 years, will get about 1400 euro. That's what's on the table right now. Back in 2016, for background, there was an agreement Signed and stamped between the unions and debitums, which would, in the event of this happening, give them two weeks per year of service and two weeks statutory redundancy. That's called the two plus two when you hear them mentioning that. eighteen fifty seven We'll return to it during the morning. We'll keep a watchful
4: eye. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
9: us now, 1850-715-996. On
4: Cork's 96FM.
5: 1850-715-996, the number, of course, as always. A caller says it's ridiculous that the workers are left there on their own when we have three senior ministers in Cork. They will say they can't intervene. Surely in other democratic countries, a blatant wrong like this would be solved. These women and men are there over 100 days, 152 days now. That is a disgrace. It's so, so unfair that they're left there, fair play at 96 of them, for supporting them. It was reported at 9 a.m., I'm hearing here on my logo, that liquidator had issued a statement withdrawing the deal and have confirmed a further one will not be negotiated. That's a tweet from, I think, Ingrid Miley. From the RTE Industrial Affairs Correspondent. So the response this morning has been that that uh, the liquidator has pulled the deal and has said that's it. Good luck. I somehow can't see that working as a plan. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Let's go back to the leaving cert. This time yesterday morning we were talking to people who would gotten their results and were happy. We spoke to Rory, and and we spoke to to. Uh, Carrie, both of whom were delighted. Carrie in particular delighted because she was bricking it last week, thinking that it wouldn't work out so well for her. She's off now to do architecture and the best of luck to her. But not everybody was happy with their grades yesterday. Kira, good morning to you. Uh, Morning, PJ. What happened to you?
10: Um, I got my, my results yesterday and I ended up getting 280 points. Okay, I got um, about four twenty in my prees, so I was very confused of like how I ended up getting two eighty in the end. Yeah, I just thought it was a huge gap. Like I was thinking I might get like fifty points less, but I ended up getting like so like two eighty. Like I I just couldn't believe it. Like
5: that's that's okay. It's 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 more than half, but it's it's less than two thirds.
10: Yeah, like in my prees, I got my like third choice for college, but now like this this results that I'm after getting now, like, I don't even think I'll get into college, like, with my courses. Okay. So, like, I'm in a pretty bad situation, like, at the moment over
5: it, so... Yeah. And what are you going to do now, or what can you do now?
10: I don't know, I think you can appeal it, like, but I think it's very limited because they got rid of the, um, you know, the way that you could check the teacher's um, grades that they gave you. They're not leaving you do that anymore, so you can only look at the data. So, like, I think they fixed the data. I don't think they, they can do anything else about it, like, so pretty bad situation, do you know?
5: Yeah, there is an appeals process.
10: Yeah. yeah, I know, but I think it's very... I think it was very limited. I was reading up about it, like, and they said they only kind of checked the data and stuff like that, you know what I mean, yeah. so... Yeah,
5: and have you been able to talk to anybody at the school?
10: Um, no, I wasn't allowed. Like, I thought, like, you, they'd ring you yesterday and you can go in at, like, you know, like, a certain time. Because I, I was listening to that on the news and everything, and I, I wasn't even called, like, you know, so... Just no contact whatsoever, like, you know
5: what I mean? That must have been been an awful shock when you got into the website and looked at this, expecting. I mean, okay, 420 in your pre's. You'd think you might get maybe 400. If you were on on, on a good day, you might get your 420, but.
10: Yeah, like, for my business, for instance, I got like 80% throughout the year. I roughly, that's how much I got. But I ended up getting H6 in my actual evening slot. What's a H6, Kira? Um. H six, I I don't know, it's like barely a pass like Okay.
5: Yeah, yeah, barely a pass. Okay. Okay. And you would have been up to the eighty five eighty to eighty five percent. So you'd have been maybe a H two candidate? Yeah, H two, H three. Around that anyway, like do you know what I mean? That's an awful that's an awful big drop.
10: Like I I don't know what happened, like, do you know what I mean? Like I can't talk to my teachers about it, do you know? I just like, even in my LVCP, I always got distinctions. I was the top of my class. I got, like, 98% of my pre, and I ended up getting a merit in the real thing then.
5: Oh, my goodness.
10: So, like, I, I'm in a right state over it. Like, I, I didn't hear anyone else kind of getting upset about it, Like, but I'm very upset with my results, do you know what I mean? Because you know? they
5: were telling us yesterday, the newspapers were full of this yesterday morning, and pretty much everyone we spoke to was at least very happy, or at least happy, if not very happy, but there's always the someone like you who comes through on the on the second day. That's a bitterly disappointing thing. And I suppose now looking back in it, do do you, do you wish you'd done an exam now, Kira?
10: I think I would prefer to do one, honestly. Yeah. I think it would have been easier. Do you know what I mean? I think I would have got better results if I actually sat it. Yeah. Do
5: you you know? can still do it. You know, there, there'll be. Um... Yeah,
10: I know it's in November. Like you know, yeah. but like then I. Are you like going I... to do it? Are you going to do it? Um, yeah, I'll do it in November, like, like I have disabilities, like, you know, like, dyslexia, dyslexia, sensory issues and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of wanted, the, you know, proper resources in place so I'd be able to take my leaving, cert, like, do you know what I mean? Because even when I did my pre, like, I wasn't given a scribe, I wasn't given a reader, I got a shared reader. Like, okay. I, I had no chance. Like, do you, do you, need, know what I mean? you
5: need a scribe, do you?
10: Yeah, I do. I have very bad dyslexia, like, so I do need one, yeah.
5: Ah, you poor old thing.
10: Yeah. I I just yeah.
5: Uh, tell people who don't know what it is, Kira. What is dyspraxia?
10: It like affects your writing, your motor skills. Right. More right. things, really. Like so, you, you know.
5: understand what you need to say. You understand what needs to be put down there, but you're not sure how to do it. Is that right? You're not able to. Physically write the paper, so you need someone to write it. For yeah, you, I just that?
10: get a scribe, like someone to write it for me. Someone like I cannot write.
5: Okay, and you didn't get that for your prees, no?
10: No, I didn't. I, I kind of, I told my resource teacher about it, and she did nothing. And then I told my dad. He went in and talked to her, right. and um, I said didn't get up or anything. I actually got killed from my resource teacher for telling my dad that I got no resources. Oh pre.
5: no, that's not good. That's not good. What are you, What are you going to do? I mean, will, are you thinking about repeating? Are you going to try and do the exams later? Like, you're you're very young. What age are you?
10: Um, I'm 18.
5: Oh, sure, look, let me tell you something, right? <laughs> yeah. The only thing that will happen if you have to go through all this again is you'll be 19. Yeah. That's I'm, the only I, thing that will happen. You're really yeah. young and I think take some time, take a breath. Is, is there someone other than your mum and dad say that you can talk to
10: no, I just was talking about it with you. That's this. I okay. can't talk about with anyone else really. So
5: okay, okay. Well, I'm very thankful to you for coming and talking to to me, Kira. Just breathe, okay? Breathe and relax yeah, a little I, bit. I know. And maybe yeah. maybe maybe let, maybe let it maybe let it settle for a bit and then and then see what you want to do. You yeah,
10: know? Like, I just like I got a bad rap of it in school as well. This oh. year was very bad. Like my ag science teacher was out like five months the whole year. And when she came back, she just did nothing with us, like, you know what I mean? She was more interested in TYs and doing Young Scientists and stuff like that.
5: I know, I know. And, 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 and like, being out of class since the middle of March, like, how was that for you?
10: uh, It was hard, like, you know, like, even online and stuff, like, my school is very old, like, Old fashioned. They don't do online. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no. older teachers in there, so like they were really struggling with it at the start, and like they couldn't really do it. Do you know what I mean? So they weren't taught how to do it. Like so, do you know? I know.
5: I know. I know. Listen, a, you just need to take some time and and stick with those who love you and who will mind you. Okay? Yeah. And and if you're upset, cry. That's okay too. You know, yeah, I don't want to be upset. I, I don't want to
10: be upset about it. Like I I, I'm proud of myself because I I did it. Like you know?
5: yes, you did, you did, and be proud of yourself. Yeah, be proud of yourself. And you know what? You'll come back and you this will all work itself out in a year's time. You'll wonder what it was all about. I promise. Yeah, I know. I messed up my first leaving. I did my leaving <sighs> twice. I made a complete dog's dinner of it the first time. Yeah. Do you know, I know, and I, yeah. F- I know, so I know how you feel now. Even yeah. though you didn't even do the exam, I know how you feel. It's horrible. Yeah. I'll say it, nove-
10: it in November. Good for you. Yeah, I, I think I will because I, I just think I'd prove something to myself as well, do you yeah. know what I mean? I, I just think I deserve better
5: than what yeah. I got. You do. You do. So, yeah. You do. And you, whatever, whatever, whatever path you choose to take, it'll be the right one for you. All yeah. right, Kira, you mind yourself, kid, alright? Okay.
10: thank you.
5: Take care. Bye-bye. 185715996. Feel for her. I really, really do. We'll come back to this. I want to play back a little piece of audio. Uh, From it's this is from the RTE primetime program. It's a very powerful statement.
11: I think a lot of older people are now expressing the feeling that maybe life isn't worth living any longer uh, because Mm. there's an equipoise now between their enjoyment of life and the lack of family celebrations, community occasions, sporting and cultural events, etc. etc. And so you can't just assume that the only outcome from this pandemic here can be judged by what is the death rate because society has other factors that it values.
5: It's Professor Ronan Collins, one of the most respected geriatricians in the country speaking on the RTE primetime program in recent days. I want to explore that with him a little bit next.
4: This is Court's gold, Imro award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan.
9: Text or WhatsApp now: O E three
4: on Court's ninety six FM.
5: So I also forgot to mention that Professor Collins is a very proud Kin man. Good morning, Professor Collins. good morning, Peter. How are you? Great. Good to talk to you, sir. I listened back to your interview on Prime Time, and I have to say that a lot of it resonated with me, and I'm a lot younger than, than patients you deal with. There's a certain sense out there now, isn't there, particularly among the elderly, that, God almighty, what's the point? Our lives have been stripped away from us by this thing.
11: Well, like all things, um, as a situation evolves over time, I think a person's perspective changes and your opinion becomes maybe a little different. It also becomes maybe matured to some degree as well by what has happened. Um, And you know, to go back to the start of this nightmare, if I can call it that, um, I did hear several of our politicians use the term unprecedented. It's kind of hardly unprecedented. Um, We just have forgotten as a society in general how to live with the threat of infection, but I'll park that for a second. Just to say that at the start of this, I think the response is correct uh, to lockdown. We might have gone even a little bit earlier until we got a handle, number one, on what this illness was like and I'm including myself, and this is a healthcare professional. and i freely admit I was terrified uh, watching the scenes in Italy. Yeah. Um, I wasn't skipping into work uh, um, uh, without a, a fair degree of fear as to what this was going to be like. Um, and so I think the, the response was correct initially until we got the measure of it, and our services weren't overwhelmed. But as things evolve, you begin to realise that the damage that can be created by continuing with a very conservative approach um, on this virus could amount to being greater. And also the fact that you need to engage and communicate properly with other sectors of society to measure your approach, to see is this what your people have elected us to represent and how they want us to lead. And I say this in a very measured and careful way because... The National Public Health Emergency Team has absolutely advised us correctly and well, but it is advice, and the government must also take advice um, from other sectors of society, um, responsible sectors of society, and then must formulate a pathway forward that reasonably meets the needs of our society, because in any given problem there will be obviously several perspectives. And the decision maker, who is our Taoiseach, obviously, has to then weigh up um, all these advice and expert advice and make the best decision for the country. And I suppose the point I was making on the television programme is that I don't think the voices, particularly of older people, have been heard enough in this pandemic.
5: Yeah, the cocooning. Procedure for the five or six or seven weeks that it was there. My own mother was uh, affected by that. No, she was okay. Her general health is extremely good. And we were able to come to the door and bring her messages to her. And eventually she got out for a little walk as well. She was okay. But many other people lived in fear for that month or so. And many of them still do live in fear. And I don't somehow think, Professor Collins, we're doing enough to address that fear, are we?
11: Well, I was... Against cocooning at the start, um, as a principle, I don't think you can say that everybody over 70 has the same risk. Many people over 70 are running businesses. Yes. They're employers. Many people over 70 are working, uh, many of them officially, and many of them unofficially as child carers to their their children's children, etc., or even looking after adult family members who may have care needs. So it is simplistic to view everybody over 70 as just this homogenous group of people. I mean, God forbid, we're all getting older, thank God, and God forbid that society is going to start treating us all as kind of... The the same type of sectoral group of people rather than uh, understanding that there's a great degree of individuality and heterogeneity in this. So there's certainly many people over 70 have serious health problems, age related problems that puts them at great risk. But many people don't either. And the problem with the cocooning advice really was that it, it wasn't communicated that this was advice. Mm. People were taking this and people of that generation would have tremendous loyalty and citizenship to the state um, and you know, would take matters of advice from the state seriously yeah. and would exhibit that loyalty. I
5: remember explaining to someone that I know, having to quietly explain to them, no, it is not a crime to go to the shop for the paper.
11: Absolutely. And I think you. Know, I even heard older patients saying... I was shocked to that they believed that. Yeah, and some older people were saying that you know, their neighbours were looking at them disdainfully uh, if they took a walk out in their neighbourhood. And I think it was miscommunicated, but it's also done a lot of harm. Um, a lot of older people's walking has deteriorated. They're beginning to fall more now because there's been muscle weakness as a result of this. Many older people's mental um, abilities and cognition has deteriorated uh, because of this. A lot of mental health problems, a lot of isolation being felt by older people during the cocooning. So as a general health measure, it's not a good thing uh, to cocoon, mm. uh, obviously. But if you're at high risk, obviously, you need to kind of, again, take on board that there's a risk associated with potentially being in particularly in crowded areas and shops at peak times where there's a circulating infection. And I'm not trivialising uh, the risk of this infection. You know, I had to look after uh, older people on a ward. Um, I was dealing with COVID myself for a period of time, so I'm not in any way trivialising. I've seen this um, awful infection up close and personal, as it were. Uh, But at the same time, I suppose I have a sense of the broader community as well, that the majority of older people, to encourage people listening to the show, the majority of older people who got this infection have had very minor illness or have actually kind of come through it quite well.
5: That's actually a very good point to make, because, you know, and I suppose we all fell into the trap of thinking that if an older person got it, that was the end of them. It It isn't, and it wasn't.
11: No, that's true, and um, listen, I, I was afraid myself if I got it, I mightn't so I mean, I think when we saw the first things, and again, not trivialising it, because I'm very conscious that, you know, I watched the programme last night on sure. RT, Many people have suffered great personal loss here. Night, yeah. I'm, I'm working with a doctor at the moment, for example, who would have lost her father, and her father wasn't that much older than I am. Um, and so I'm not trivializing this in any shape or form. This is a significant affection. It can pose a great personal threat to an individual. For some reasons, we haven't yet quite defined and there's a lot of curious things I've noticed about this illness, but...
5: There's an unpredictable back, nature to it that I think lots, of, lots of doctors are bit. struggling with. Professor Collins, I want to come back to one or two things that you said previously. Um, you said that we have forgotten... The, the, the unprecedented, maybe not, we maybe have forgotten how to deal with the threat of infection. I want to deal with that. But first of all, as a healthcare professional, I guess you'd accept that the real fear we have here, particularly as we head into winter, which is probably why all these restrictions, they're so, they're so still being imposed, particularly the pubs, is that our critical care system in this country won't take the pressure if we have to go again.
11: Well, the first thing is that our critical care system was under-resourced from the beginning. Our hospital bed numbers have been under-resourced since the last economic crash. So we are all conscious of that. What I would say to people though in a slightly reassuring way is that you know we have had a very good drill run. I think our results are comparable with everywhere else in the world. I think there's a workforce that are up for this um, and will serve the public well. Um, and think morale, although people are tired, I think morale is strong still. Um, and you know, there's a kind of a certain amount of steeliness, I think, in the health service as well, kind of almost a fight-back attitude, if I yeah. can say, that we're not going to have our society defined by a virus. Um, now, I do think as well that, you know, as you mentioned it, uh, I'm not advocating that people behave responsibly. It's important that the public do whatever they can to limit the potential for a mass outbreak. We are expecting more cases. That's natural uh, with an outbreak like this. Um, I'm not advocating when I advocated on prime time that maybe the pubs should be open. I'm not advocating that people behave responsibly with that either. We all have a degree of citizenship to show here. But I do think as well that we can get on with our lives Mm. in in more of an open fashion, albeit being careful. Listen, if everybody, and I I was down at home myself, Last week, and I, you know, I went into several one or two filling stations as I was getting some fuel and things. I know still several people not wearing masks. Yeah, and listen if everybody just wore a mask, and it's not about you, you might feel fine, you can be bravado all you like, but protect the person around you. And you're showing respect for your fellow community member by putting a mask on. And it's important to remember that it's almost now during the current crisis we're showing respect for other people by putting a mask on. Um, and wash your hands as frequently as you can, and obviously we need to try and avoid very crowded situations. But again, going back to being down in West Cork, should a pub be allowed open in winter, you and I well know there 's many small towns and villages in we that have as a community center as the local pub and it 's not about people going down lashing into drink mm. it 's where people meet to exchange a greeting, share the news, commiserate with one another if they 've had bad news or lost people. It's where they show support for one another. It's a very important structure in our society, and it's part of getting back to normal life, and we do have to learn to live with this virus.
5: Somebody made a comment early on in this, Professor Collins, that, and I quote it, was, loneliness will kill you quicker than COVID.
11: I think there's certainly a grain of truth in this. Um, Listen, it's kind of sad to say this because there was a time in medicine uh, when i first started out and for example when i would have been working with and um, one of the great authorities uh, of the tragedy of suicide and um, list uh, michael kelleher in cork. I know, michael. Um, and cork yeah. and at that time you know it was the conventional medical fact that the rates of suicide were higher amongst older people uh, some of us again down to due to bereavement loss and isolation and then things changed with the economy and it became much more if you like, prevalent amongst younger people are the stresses and economic stresses and financial stresses manifesting themselves in younger people. I think during this current virus, it's true to say that it has been tough psychologically and mentally on all sectors of society. I think that's a fair comment to make. Mm-hmm. I think it's particularly difficult though, with some of the restrictions on older people because the circle of friends may not be as large due to loss and bereavement, uh, people may have lost spouses and partners. Family members may be abroad who can't come home. Yep. And while technology has helped hugely to allow people to care, there is nothing that mm-hmm. beats human contact. And people nothing. have
5: lost lifelong friends and have not been able to mourn them during this
11: thing. It's been very tough. I mean, our beautiful rituals um, uh, around death um, are so important to us, number one to celebrate the life of the person uh, we have lost, but also as a healing mechanism for those of us who are left behind um, after the person has died. And the loss of those rituals, number one, is just very hard for people who felt they couldn't express, um, you know, solidarity with the person who's lost the loved one, and mem- commemorate them properly, but also for the person who's left behind because they haven't had that healing mechanism. And I think, you know, I think that the state has tried to commemorate people through its little piece um, in the evening to commemorate those we've lost during this pandemic. And I think when this is all over, we will need, as communities and as a society, to do something special to remember the people that we've lost during this pandemic.
5: Okay, You said earlier on, and we said we'd come back to it, that we have maybe forgotten how to behave as a nation under threat of infection. maybe that's, Is that a reference to the fact that really it's, it's only about 60 or 70 years ago since we had major problems with TB and things in this country?
11: Well, first of all, to say that this is unprecedented is not quite true. Um, so you know, I'll give you a brief history of pandemics in 20 seconds. <laughs> Uh, The Spanish flu, 1918, um, massive pandemic, about 50 million people died, mainly younger people, excess mortality. 1957, another Asian flu outbreak, H2N2, killed somewhere between 1 and 2 million people, again, mainly younger people, excess mortality. The Hong Kong flu of 1968, again, somewhere between 1 and 2 million deaths worldwide, uh, killed in excess in older people. We had the swine flu in 2009, which, I would remember running around to get my kids vaccinated quickly um, and then that killed something close to a million people worldwide as well and then they're all the flu viruses and then you would have had the coronaviruses we had one serious outbreak the SARS first SARS in 2003 yeah. it didn't kill that many people because of such a serious illness we contained it very quickly you could recognize who was sick very easily there was a smaller outbreak in the Middle East called MERS which is a very serious coronavirus And now we have the current one. And I suppose what I'm trying to say to you is that pandemics happen. But I suppose most worryingly in the last 20 years, we've had four to five threatened or actual pandemics. Whereas in the previous 100 years, we had that same number. And there is a direct link, unfortunately, between the threat of these viral infections and the way we travel and globally move. But also, I have to say, the way we intensively farm. And destroy habitats because that is releasing a reservoir of wild viruses into a human population.
5: That's an interesting point. You're not the first one to make that, but certainly. So looking finally, Professor, into uh, the autumn and winter, I saw a particularly sad photograph during the rounds on Twitter last night of an elderly man in a pub in Galway. I think the pub is called McGinn's, And he's sitting there in a little caboose on his own with a pint of stout, a little bit of dinner, and in front of him is an alarm clock making sure he won't overstay his time. I thought it was a very sad scene. Can we do anything to mitigate that?
11: Well, again, going back to, I suppose, my comment about it as a society, we've lost how to live during a pandemic. At the same time, I think we've shown extraordinary creativity. Uh, and just to go back to that one minute, I'm just about old enough, for example, to remember uh, an outbreak of polio and Cork and the panic that produced. Oh, yeah. And- standing in a dispens- outside the dispensary and can for about three hours waiting to be vaccinated. I remember getting so, my sugar lump too, Doctor. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and then you mentioned TB as well. So I suppose our parents in particular and our parents' parents had a skill set that they were used to living with the threat of infection and we've kind of slightly forgot how to do that. Um, and I suppose that goes back to your point about this man sitting in the pub. We need to be creative as a society and public health needs to take on board as well when we're discussing that. We must have... A reasonable degree that allows people quality um, and social supports as well uh, to live their lives, while at the same time trying to mitigate the infection. We have to learn to live with the virus. There is no such thing as a zero virus scenario here. That's not going to happen, and we will not have a vaccine for a year. I think would be probably. There's my a
5: push on among many academics I've spoken to them. Professor Colleen, Professor Staines, Professor Mills. There are others who who say we should drive towards zero COVID.
11: Well, they should, but I don't think it's possible. Um, I don't think it's possible when you've got it, unless you're going to isolate the country off completely, and that's just not the way life is lived anymore. Um, I don't think it's possible. Um, um, I mean, I think the damage that that would do and the restrictions required and the impositions on the state and cutting ourselves off would probably outweigh the benefits you would get. It has to be remembered that the vast majority of people who get this infection have either no illness or a very mild illness. And what has been reported as cases on the news, just to be clear about this, are positive swab results. The hospitals are not swamped with new cases at the moment. We've seen a small rise. And, of course, the number of, you know, some of those people you've mentioned are public health experts. The rise in the number of swabbed cases may well be mathematically models turned into increased presentations in hospitals, but we're not seeing that huge surge yet. And so the trick is, how do we map a way forward um, that ensures that people have some quality in their lives, that people have enough enjoyment and social support in their lives to make life worth living? As I said, it's very hard to hear, and I haven't heard this in many, many years for older people saying to me, I'm not sure it's worth continuing to live anymore. Um, And that's a very hard thing to listen to. Um, And it's genuinely heartfelt meant by many people when they said to me, listen, without family celebrations or a community occasion or something sporting or culturally to enjoy, what's the point? Um, And so we have to be careful as well that we nurture society to get through this, that there's enough enjoyment, support um, and joy to life and that we don't ruin everybody's businesses. Uh, and that we've got a society to return to that's not socially phobic or a desolate landscape uh, with no uh, business or employment for our younger people. Right.
5: I'll leave it there. Uh, thank you very much, Professor Ronan Collins. Really appreciate your contribution. 1850 Thank you, Professor. There's a lot in what the man has to say, don't you know? My great-grand-aunt is 101. Please God, she'll be 102 next month. She beat the COVID just getting back to Debenhams, where at this stage we understand that the workers are still inside. The ones who got into the Patrick Street branch this morning, Valerie and about seven others, are still inside. Uh, They've been talking to the guy, they're talking to the security people, and so far, so far, they're still inside. Some of their colleagues in Henry Street have been arrested. Now, there was a text came in, well, first of all, there was a tweet from uh, Ortiz Ingrid Miley, who said that the liquidator had issued a statement withdrawing the deal. Mick TD has confirmed that KPMG withdrawn the offer. Uh, someone has mentioned here, and I'm happy to do this uh, for knowledge of listeners, PJ should disclose as a potential conflict of interest that he spoke in support of the Debenham workers at their protest at the weekend. The integrity of the interview is weakened. If when somebody comes on air and claims the presenter is biased or brings a complaint to the BAI about an undisclosed conflict, well, that's Niall who supports the case. Well, first of all, there's no undisclosed conflict here. Uh, I was invited. I went. I spoke for about a minute and 40 seconds uh, just to encourage the workers to stick in for what they were happy with. That's all I said. And I had the full clearance of management to travel to that Demonstration. So there was no conflict of interest. I've never hidden it. It would be it would be undisclosed if I hadn't disclosed it. But I make no apology for it. Right back to the the leaving cert. IFA. Uh, good morning to you.
12: Hello. How uh, are you?
5: Good. Congratulations.
12: Thank you so much.
5: Six hundred and twenty-five.
12: That's right. I was delighted. The was jackpot. Over the moon. Yeah, absolutely.
5: When you opened up the computer or the laptop or whatever and saw it?
12: Oh, I was I was kind of in shock. I was delighted that I finally got the results I had been working so hard for. I mean, I put in so much work all year, all the past two years, I suppose. And... Um, I was just glad to see that it all was worth it in the end. I'd given up so much of my time and yeah. all my extracurricular activities. I, you know, I piano, Irish dancing, flute, gave them all up for the Leaving First, and yeah. I know my part-time job and everything. I'd given that up towards the end as well. So I was, I was so glad that all my hard work and my study and everything had had okay. been worth it. You know, how
5: how how did you do in your pre's like the last written exams? How did they go for you?
12: They went well. Um, I hadn't gotten the same level that I managed to get for my Leaving Certificate, but they were all good results. Um, and I knew that my grades were going to come up again for the Leaving Cert. So I'm very glad that they did um, That they did come through. And I mean, I was worried particularly about um, the standardization with the predictive grades. I wasn't sure how that would go because yeah. I knew there were t- particular grades I was expecting in different subjects. And I just hoped that the national standardization wouldn't kind of bring them down, you know.
5: Yeah, because that's just done basically on maths and statistics, and
12: exactly, exactly. It's not you, you, looking at the students themselves yeah. or the the results they got. It's just purely based on how many they think they should allow have certain grades. You know.
5: So delighted now, and where are you off to?
12: I'm hoping three languages in Trinity College in Dublin. Nice. Any particular so like languages in mind? French and German. French, French and, and German. German. Yeah. Why those two? I've always had a girl for languages, so right. I've, I've been attending Gaelic school since I was four, um, and I've attended Colossal on Fear Shake here in Glanmire,
5: Great,
12: um for the past six years, so it all is it's fantastic and the teachers are all very supportive and everything, so I'm very grateful to them. Great.
5: Well, congratulations to you, Aoife, and uh, Thank you. all the best for the next steps. Take care of yourself. That's Aoife Mannion uh, from Colossal and Fear, and Fear Shaking. It's 625 Points. The new point system, thank you for whoever put this up from the executive research desk. For those of us, a H1 is 90 to 100, a H2 is 80 to 90, h H3 is 70 to 80, and so far down the line to a H8, which is not to 30.
4: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM.
5: Coming up, we've talked many times on the program about greyhound racing and about how so many people feel that greyhound racing should just be wound up, wrapped up and scrapped and and not indulged in anymore. And that's an argument that divides people a little. We've been talking to Rachel in a while who wants horse racing done away with as well. That's uh, to come in this hour. 1850 715 Text to WhatsApp 83 396 The email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie. The tweet is at opinionline96. Of course, hashtag, hashtag OL96. And if you want to contact us through Facebook, it's the Corks 96FM Facebook page. And address your message, if you would, please, for the attention of the opinion line. Following that, Debenhams sit in. And if there's any developments, we'll bring them to you immediately. Just on the question of the years of service, someone was texting in, a number of people were saying, how can you have 30 years of service when Debenhams are only here for less than that time? The simple answer is that they took over lock, stock and barrel from roacher Stores. So your years of Rocha Stores service count as part of your Debenhams service. And that was all agreed when Devedams came in and took over the stores. So that's all academic. So if someone has 40 years service or 30 years service, including Roche Stores, it's 30 years service. Dan was on last week about COVID-19 and the figures, and I've been asked as well by someone else on my Twitter this morning to look at another one of these figures. We'll talk about Dan. I'll talk to Dan in a minute. All right, okay, we'll come back to that. Let's go back, to, thanks, Dee. Let's go back to the Leaving cert. Uh, and we spoke in the last hour to Kira, who's just not happy at all uh, with the way her predicted grades went, and to Efa, who's absolutely delighted with how her predicted grade went. And and the thing is, it's also been clarified um, about the calculations, the paperwork that was used to make the calculations. Uh, reading from the examiner this morning, schools were not. Instructed to destroy official documents relating to the calculated clear, uh, grades process the Department of Education has moved to clarify after 60,000 students got the results on Monday. Uh, it's the first year since the exams were established that students didn't actually sit the final exams. Schools will return the forms this week that they used to document the evidence. It would have included previous exam results, class test results, mock exam results, results from project work, all of which was clearly recorded. Schools are then asked to return the forms. There was a, a rumour going around that they were being told to destroy them. Uh, the Minister for Education was on the Claire Byrne show yesterday and said, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. Uh, she said there was no order of that nature. Um, Which means people, I presume, can appeal. And someone like Kira, who's bitterly disappointed, can appeal. 185715996. Let us go to uh, the Life Centre. And they were tweeting yesterday about how delighted they were with the results. Um, As always... Uh, Don was speaking with us throughout the course of preparation for the exam and then when the exam didn't go ahead, talked about predicted grades, talked about how to, you know, how to bring students through uh, this difficult time as best as possible. Can I release one to be there, Dee, if he's ready to go, I'll talk to him. Uh, Just other stuff coming in. Yeah, talking, Dr. Collins, Professor Collins was speaking to me about the seniors and and how they're looking into the winter ahead with COVID-19. Morris makes a very strong point. He says, for many seniors, the only bit of contact they have is some medical person, be it a carer, nurse or doctor. But during the pandemic, a lot of them learned how to use Zoom, and it's the best thing ever. The pandemic put them in a better place, in a way. I'm sure the professor is trying to help, but I honestly think people would be better exploring things like that and staying safe, rather than taking chances. There are other ways of making contact, like those porch events and so on. The only thing I will say about that, Morris, is you can't hug a screen. That's what so many people said to me during the last few months. You can't hug a screen. You can't touch a screen. You can't kiss a screen. That's the problem. 1857 Let us go to the Life Centre to Don O'Leary. Don, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Overall, were you ye happy yesterday?
13: Yeah, I, I suppose, it, you know, that's, that's strange. I suppose we're happy. The young people were very happy. Well, it's, it's strange because, you know, the leaving cert is just a mark in time. It's important for the young people. Yeah. I think, you know, I spent a day here yesterday with staff and students and parents coming in uh, at different times. And we had a great day here yesterday, kind of laughing, smiling, crying and reflecting on the journey that the young people had made to get to where they were yesterday. Now, from a point of view of moving on, I, I think the young people were fairly happy. Um, I'm just glad to see that they, they, they're they ready to continue their journey into third level, PLC, whatever that might be and that makes me happy uh, but it has been a strange year and I think these young people have missed a lot and um, it's great to see them you know, getting a chance to shine and I'm happy in that regard
5: Yeah, we talked you and I several times about how this might or might not turn out and, and we all agreed we, we'd know nothing until the day And on the day, on reflection, was it the right thing to do?
13: Um, I suppose suppose it was, you know, given the circumstances. Um, I mean, for me, you know, we should have used this period to talk about making the the Leaving Cert more equitable um, and looking at a new way of doing things Um, that gives young people an opportunity to shine. Uh, And I think we've lost that opportunity. I, I think, you know, calculated grades in the format that they were done had to be done that way. But I thought, you know, you could have put things in place that would allow you to do continuous assessment. Because for me, um, continuous assessment is, is the way to go with young people. You know, um, lots of young people have bad days for exams. You know, lots of young people have bad days of pre and Christmas tests. Young people struggle in examinations with a brilliant all year round. And and I think we, we have to come up with a more equitable way. And I think for me, we have lost that opportunity. I would love to have seen something done about that. Mm-hmm. There's still time if if the department and other educators would sit down together and look at this as a way forward. And I think remove all that anxiety that we saw in in March because and you know we we're still seeing some of it. You know, kids so disappointed and um, that they're they're afraid they're not going to get the course they wanted. It's it, it's just such a, a, a huge problem in relation yeah. to mental health. There has videos.
5: to be a better way.
13: Well, there has to be. I, I mean, you know, judging judging young people on, on their performance uh, one day uh, or one week in June or two weeks in June is a really unfair way of measuring what they've achieved. The other thing we need we, we need to look at how it's done. I mean, you know, for for lots of people, being able to memorize stuff out of a book is brilliant. Well, what does a teacher book like um, oh. so, so I think we do need to look at it, and I think you know in fairness i, 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 I you know you'd have to pay a tribute right because they got some brick bats on all of this were the teachers and 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 you know i i feel, i actually feel totally sorry for schools in this and the brick bats they got in, in 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 trying to come up with this, and I think they they stepped up to the mark and they were fair. As it possibly could be to the kids in the most part, I think, and they yeah. did a fantastic job in getting that done. Um, I, I'm delighted that there's something to show at the end of this, but I think there's a better way. You know, there's a, yeah. there, there has to be a better way that takes pressure off of the young people.
5: Because they've got I enough see. to deal with in, in 2020. I think you have yeah. someone there with you, Don.
13: I have. I'm going to pass you over now. Alana. Okay.
8: Hi.
5: Alana, how are you?
8: I'm good, yeah. How are you doing?
5: Good, good. You did well. You were happy.
8: Oh yeah, no, I, I was
5: delighted about myself. Mm. What is it that you wanted to? Um,
8: I'm thinking of doing criminology
5: um, oh. in UCC. Oh, yeah. yeah. Excellent. So, what was? I mean, I know that it was. some, you, I think it was it your your folks were were tweeting last night about your your time at the life centre and and before the life centre, you were things weren't looking so good for you education wise. It's been a big change.
8: Oh yeah, no, a massive change. Like, I was only talking to my best friend yesterday about, like, how I was before I came to the Vice Centre and, like, how I am now as a person. And, like, it's it's insane, the level of change that has happened. How, was, like, how were you? But,
5: what, what was the difference? Um,
8: well, I I was in Colostia Column for two years and then I kind of just started, you know bumping off and coming into town and stuff. And then I started going to Davis College and I was there until fifth year. And then I just left there as well. Just, I don't know, it didn't suit me at all. And then I was homeschooled for a little bit and then I came here.
5: What was the difference then at the Life Centre when you went in that big red door?
8: Well, Don, you know, the first day I met him, I was... Sitting down right where he's sitting now, and he was glaring at me now. Like I mean, I could not get his eyes off me, and I was just like, "No, go away!" Like it's I the stare. Like, like, I know
5: like, like. it's the stare. He does it. Yeah.
8: <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh my god, who is this person?" Like, <laughs> but like you know, they were welcoming. Like I, did, I was very honest with them. Just like, oh, you know, I can I can be a bit pissy now some <laughs> And like, whatever. Yeah. And what
5: was it about that you just couldn't hack it in a school? What was it, Alana? Was it that you didn't feel that you fitted in there or what?
8: Um, that and, like, I struggled a lot with depression and anxiety and anger and the whole nine years. Like, you know, when I was in mainstream school, I just found it very hard to actually get out of bed in the morning and go in and, like... You know, wear a weird facade, like just walking around acting like everything's fine when it's not, like, and then having no support in that in mainstream school was like traumatizing, to be honest with you. Cause yeah. Was it that you no, found
5: some people that have been to the Life Centre before, Alana, have told me that, you know, there was nowhere in a mainstream school for you to have a crap day?
8: Yeah. Oh, God. No, not a all.
5: Whereas if you come into the life centre and you ha- and, and you know before you get in the door this is not a good day, the accommodation for that is there.
8: Yeah.
5: How much does that mean to you?
8: Oh, like, so much. Like, just being able to come sit down in the counselling room and, like, have a cry by myself or, like, you know, have a panic attack and, like, have Rachel come in and just check in and ask if I need tea. Like, you know, it's... Like, I can't explain how, like, grateful I
5: am just to have that fucking... Oh, sorry. Is that right? That's how relaxed it is in the Life Centre. It's all right. I've been up there. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Yeah, it totally changed everything, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Entirely. So now that you... Got the, the the leaving and you're heading off. Hopefully for criminology. Mm. What does the future hold for you? Sure, I, think.
8: I could sit here and think about that all day.
5: Well, give, me one, give me one. Give me one thing you'd like.
8: Um, I don't know. Like, I just want you know opportunities to travel and meet new people and actually like cherish my life. And I don't know.
5: All right. Well, listen, you've got a great start up there. They're wonderful people and we love talking to to Don and Rachel and the people that they work with every day. And a congratulations to you and thanks very much to Don uh, O'Leary, director of Cork Life Centre. That's that's how easy going it is up there. 1850 715 Another success story for the Cork Life Centre I've said it before and I'll say it again There should be one in every parish
4: This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning Talk show, The Opinion Line With PJ Coogan
9: Text or WhatsApp now 0833 96
4: 96, 96. On Cork's 96 FM
5: Paula says, I'd like to agree with PJ, there should be one of those centres in every area, and not just for the students, but for the teachers too. They have neither the training or the resources to teach those students the right way for them. They do fabulous work. It must be very rewarding to see them flourish, as it is frustrating for teachers who can't teach them the right way. Well, it's the system, really, that doesn't allow for the individualisation of education to take into account the, the, the full and wholesome, rounded young person. But they've done that in the Life Centre with remarkable success over the years. Coming up later this morning, I have a book in my hand that reads like a really terrifying crime novel. The more terrifying bit is it's actually true. And it happened here in Ireland. That's coming up later on this morning. But First of all, I mentioned that we've spoken about greyhound racing many times. And you'll remember the documentary on RTE a number of years ago. Was it actually was it just last year or the year before uh, a horrifying documentary in RT about the greyhound racing industry and it led to reports and investigations and inquiries and kind of very little else uh, but there was a call at the time for the banning of the racing industry that greyhound racing industry I said when I saw that, document, that documentary that I wouldn't be inclined to go back to greyhound racing uh, and I haven't since and I can't see myself going again. Quite frankly, I still remain to be convinced otherwise. But now the focus—one of our listeners—has turned the focus on horse racing. And Rachel, you think horse racing should be should go by the board as well? Good morning to you.
14: Good morning, love. Yeah, well, I've always thought that, and I was taught by um, Mrs. Magner down in Glenmire, and she felt the same way. Um, even though she loved the horses. Because it's cruel. I mean, there's no other way of putting it, PJ. I mean, if the horses have an injury, they're usually drugged up to make them run again. They're slaughtered by the time, you know, until they're slaughtered the minute that they've finished um, making the money. So, and I put up on my Facebook page, I tend to put up things that are a little bit controversial, I suppose, in a way, because I suppose when you think about that, of a trainer basically beating the horse, you know, so we get this lovely idea that the horse wins and everybody's having a great time, and the horse is, you know, eating caviar later on and drinking champagne. But of course, that's not the case. And and horses, by nature, are pack animals like dogs. But when they're when they're racing, it's a very solitary life for them. It's an awful life for them. It's very like um, the greyhound racing. But I think any racing, any 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 business that is made from from animals and uh, the cruelty to animals it shouldn't exist you see on one hand we're saying we love animals this is what really gets me you know it's a bit like uh, you know the people coming out of church um and they're giving off this lovely idea to everybody how virtuous they are and then they're reading the arse off of the woman down the road you know so it's the same when it comes to to animals we say we love animals, mm. but yet then we go and we you know, go out for a night uh, to the dogs, I think it's called, uh, where everybody has a few jars and the poor dogs are running up and down. Or the horse racing is the same. Everybody dresses up to the nines. They give off this idea that they are so virtuous. It's called hypocrisy. You know, yes. if you look up the definition of it, it's a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs and principles, mm. and that's what you're giving out to everybody. But it's a pretense. It's not true because but- you're dressing up. You're having a lovely day, getting a picture in the paper, but at what expense?
5: But you surely wouldn't think, Rachel, that it's all cruelty. That, you know, these are very highly trained beasts and and it's a very big industry. And for the, for the most part, I would hasten to suggest, not knowing otherwise, for the most part, racehorses are extremely well treated and extremely well cared for. Because if they weren't, they wouldn't perform.
14: And I would disagree with everything that you have just said. It's almost like talking about um, cattle farming, if you like. There's very few cattle farmers out there that care about the animals. They care about the end result, i.e. the money. That's all, PJ. And, and, And I don't think anybody that would put an animal through that sort of pressure... I'm not saying horses don't like to run. Of course they love to run. Do they like to be beaten? Into running? I don't think so. Do they like to be put on these little merry go rounds with loud music and made run for for six hours? I don't think so. I don't think there is anything virtuous, there is anything good about any industry that uses animals for monetary gain.
5: Would you stretch that to show jumping?
14: Oh, absolutely!
5: Gymkhana,
14: yeah. Well, now the gymkhana—I don't think that's... I, I wouldn't say that that's terribly cruel. Now, my daughter does horse riding. I've always done horse riding, mm-hmm. um, but she, we've never done any gymkhanas. But my friends do it. But that's not; these are these are privately owned horses that families own that they are taking care of. Mm. So, but, so that's different. That's family-owned. That that's not industry. dressage. But that's not the same thing. It's family-owned horse. It's not an industry. Yes. So you're talking about. The racing industry that people go to, and they dress up, and they have a wonderful time, and then they get onto their Facebook pages, pages or their WhatsApp groups, yeah. and they talk about animal cruelty. Well, you, an, awful lot of the,
5: an awful lot of the racing that's done in Ireland is point to point. It's much smaller level. It's not the big Cora and Leopardstown and all those. It's point to point racing. Are they making in the money out of it? I assume they make something out well, it. Then it's an industry,
14: it. and then it's yeah. wrong.
5: So no one should get paid to ride a horse, maybe.
14: Like, no, I, I, don't think, I don't think horses should be used for... Mo- I don't think any animals should be used for monetary gain. I think it's cruel, and I think anybody who supports it, you need to check yourself. Because if you're supporting that, you're supporting animal cruelty. And I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. No, no, what about places like Fota
5: basic. and Dublin Zoo and all that?
14: Aren't they protecting them? Aren't they trying to stop extinction? Isn't that, isn't that the, the whole... I'm not saying all zoos. Obviously, there are zoos that have been... Um, Shut down because of cruelty to animals and you have to monitor and I suppose there comes in monitoring um the industry. There isn't the enforcement there to monitor the industry. Yeah. There isn't the enforcement to monitor what's happening well, now.
5: Well you mentioned you mentioned the the term industry and, and John reminds me, and I've no doubt that Joe Seward, who talks to me frequently, is listening as well. PJ Tell that woman, the Irish horse racing industry is worth <laughs> a billion per annum, employs over 14,000 people, and is a huge player on the international scene. And in actual fact, when I asked the question at the start of the pandemic, why is every other sport cancelled except horse racing, there was an industry and business-led exception made for it. So it's it's just... I mean. But
14: you see, even listening to that comment, the way he started it, Tell That Woman... You know, I mean, I wouldn't even listen to that idiot. You know, I mean, that, that in itself is disrespectful. The industry is supporting the cruelty to animals. I don't know why our government supports it. Um, I know that there's been uproar about it, an awful lot of money put into investigating it, and nothing done, which basically is what our country does. We do an awful lot of investigating, and at the end of the day, we do nothing.
5: So you think it should be all just...
14: I think it should be banned, I think the whole. I think horse racing should be banned. I think greyhound racing should be banned because it's cruel to animals. I don't support it. I have never supported it. And I've always been horrified when I hear friends of mine going, oh, let's have a great night out with the dogs. You know, we'll go, we'll dress up, we'll have a few jars. I'm thinking, do you really, do you understand what you are supporting? What do you
5: think of the thousands of people who flock to Cheltenham every year?
14: Well, I don't think a hell of a lot of them after what they brought back with them this time round. Um, but... But I, again, I think it's total hypocrisy. <laughs> Is it really that important to put on a bonnet and a frock and head out and have your picture in the paper? Is that more important than that animal's life? And to me, it's not.
5: Okay. Actually, just coming back on that industry comment that John made, in the 2019 budget, at 67.2 million of our money, yours and mine exactly was given to horse racing Ireland so they're not exactly generating that much they're they're getting plenty
14: but why are we giving it to them like is there is there something that we're not being told because why isn't that going into well, like, well, we, put money and, in, we what, do what? put
5: money into every sport we put money into not 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 as much as we should into the likes of hurling and football well and exactly Kirogi,
14: the, guy, the guy the would uh, yes exactly but why why are we putting it into an industry that so many people are vehemently against and we've said
5: it. It's a fair point. We'll see what people think. Rachel, thank you very much. That's Rachel Sarah Murphy who reckons that just like the focus turned on greyhound racing in the last couple of years and we see some of the horrific cruelty in places like China uh, that is, is meted out against dogs. And we talked about the fact that dogs who go past their sell-by here, they often get put into a truck and taken on a boat and they end up running into death, running until their death in China we've covered that and we were asking the question should the industry be allowed to continue, Rachel is posing the question with regard to horse racing, should the industry be allowed to continue because it's profiting on the backs of animals, literally on the backs of animals, Barry says you can't say stop horse racing because it's cruel when you own horses yourself practice what you preach, well I can tell you now Rachel doesn't own horses she rides horses horse riding in itself and her daughter rides horses horse riding in itself is a fine skill she doesn't own them uh, James says that one has no idea what she's talking about horses are well looked after, they have to be they cost a lot we'll have a look at the video on her Facebook page this is not the first time we've heard this argument by the way I just want to know what people think Orla agrees 100% we just said we'd put it out there and see what you think Rachel says it's time to call a halt to horse racing because it is cruel. I'm not coming down on either side because I genuinely can't. I don't actually know. 1850-715-996 just on the Life Centre Morning PJ, listening to Don I feel the, the greatest respect for him and all at the Life Centre my daughter was a pupil of theirs at a very difficult and sad time of her life our family would be forever grateful for their care says Deirdre uh, I'd just like to agree there should be one of those centres in every area not just for the students for the sake of the teacher thinking. think I read that one before 1850-715-996
4: this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call
9: us now, 1850
4: 715 996 On Cork's
5: 96 FM Now we mentioned uh, last week that it was the 30th anniversary of Cork winning the hurling which was the start of the, the senior double in 1990 and this is the 30th anniversary and the 16th of September is the anniversary of the football uh, where they went on to beat Meath to claim the double and obviously there have been camogie and ladies football doubles since but in terms of the senior men's competitions football and hurling there hasn't been another double before or since and uh, there's a An interesting tie-in between that celebration of 30 years and Marymount Hospice uh, over the next uh, week or so. And uh, driving it, one of the people driving it, is Niall Cahalan, who, of course, played on the football team in 1990. Niall, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Good man. How are you getting on? I'm great. Happily happily retired now, I suppose.
2: (laughs) Happily retired. No one ever happily retires. We all want to keep going forever, but there becomes a time when you you just fall off that merry-go-round and you don't, you're you not fast enough to get back on it again.
5: There's been some events happening in within the limitations, I suppose, to, to mark the 30 years. I, I suspect that if we hadn't this blasted pandemic, we'd have an awful lot more going on.
2: The, but what's the tie-in with Marymount? The, the likelihood is there'd be an awful lot more going on. Um, and I suppose, you know... I, I only, you know, I only got on this bus after it started with the, the lads, I suppose. It, this whole thing was kind of a brainchild of, of James O'Connor, who would be cosplus ties ties with McCarthy of McCarthy Meats, and my own son, Connor, uh, who kind of recently, I'd say, said, hang on, lads, you know, you're 30 years ago, Cork won a double. I can remember when we came back on that Monday night to Cork and the hurlers joined us, Uh I think there, there, there was talks that there was probably over a hundred thousand people in Cork that night. Um, you know, which was huge. Never been done since. Maybe won't be done in our time again. And you would like Yeah, the thing.
5: Are you surprised it has never been done since?
2: Uh, the likelihood is is the, the, the w- realistically you, you have probably two counties that could do it. Um, uh, one being Cork, and probably the other being Dublin. You know what I mean, because of their their population and and, mm. and everything else. Um, right. Will it happen in our lifetime again? The likelihood, I don't think it will. Yeah. You know, now Cork had a chance, if you remember, was that in nineteen ninety nine that they went to what finals again? Yes. yes. Uh, the, the 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 hurlers won and footballers uh, last out. Yeah. Um, you know, which kind of was as close as, as as anyone has come since.
5: I think to get to get one now would be great. <laughs> absolutely,
2: absolutely. And things, like you look at things have fallen back a bit, Niall You know, uh, a small bit. And yeah. and and, and I've no doubt that you know they. they that, that that whole thing will come again whether, whether or not it will come uh, in, in the form of a double but I think our hurdlers or footballers you know what I mean it, it, give it a little small little bit of time and I think they're, they're, they're not going to be far away but yeah. whether it will then ever again come in the form of a of, of a double I'm not too sure and then you have like you know um, um, Teddy McCarthy won in millions that, that you, we will never again see um, a dual star uh, that will play into all Ireland finals, that, and I might say that's, win one. That's, a, that's
5: that's that'll never be done again, never right?
2: ever. You know, that is, and, and they're encouraging that you just can't do it now with yeah. the, 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 the load that's on players. Yeah.
6: Okay, uh, let's talk about Marymount. Well, I
2: suppose the, the, the Marymount thing then came that the, the, the three boys kind of moved to this, and all of a sudden, you know what I mean, what do you do? You know, realistically, you you, you try and tie up with a, a charity or whatever. Um and I suppose we they tied up with, with 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 Marymount because you know over the years there would be a, a connection with Marymount. Um, you know what I mean? You'd you'd have um, you know a lot of mercy and John Kirtans, um, yeah. You know passed away um, uh, quite young, uh, left uh, a wife and kids after him. You had Cairn O'Connor most recently. Yeah. Um, you know other playing colleagues of, of that time and since have, have um, you take Kevin Hennessy, have, have battled yeah. uh, over a number of years with, 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 with cancer and associated kind of, you know, things um, and then I suppose we'd have had our, our team doctor of, of all those years um, Con Murphy who was uh, very much a part of the whole um, uh, set up and, and still is uh, and consisted in Mary would be um, a consultant uh, in Marymount right. uh, the hurlers earlier on this year had a, a fundraiser where they, they raised funds for Marymount and, and the likes of Marymount in these places and look I've been out there myself with visiting and visiting yeah. friends and what have you it's its uh, they're, they're,
5: there's, there's they're, not a family I'd say in Cork that hasn't been touched yes. by it at some stage so, and, so uh, what's
2: happening on the 16th on the 16th I suppose what we're encouraging at this stage now is that on the 16th of of um, of, um, of September uh, we're encouraging that that Cork where you are in Cork, whether you're involved with a secondary school, a national school, whether you're in your workplace, whether it is your home, whatever, um, that Cork is going right on that day. Um, and uh, then you donate to um, Marymount Hospice. It's Wednesday week. Which is Wednesday week um, because of the whole goings on in the comings and trottings and shenanigans we can't run a function we can't run you know what I mean Uh, we would probably love to have um, to to run a function in conjunction with it uh, that would give us access to, to raising more funds uh, but we're not afforded that because of, of, of uh restrictions. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, an idonate.ie page. There's an donate, yeah. Um I donate and um it is uh cork goes red. They yeah, are go red for cork. You know. Yeah. Uh, there is also um, you can you can donate through text. Uh, which is ring finch to four euros and you can d- donate to uh, uh 53 00, um uh, to Marymount as well Very good. Yeah. um and hopefully we will you know the Marymounts of this world and all these you know uh they have been completely affected as well uh, yeah, you can... <laughs> and restricted in their fundraising yeah. Um so like they're there's probably a big hole in their in their accounts and their fundraising accounts yeah. as well. So if, if if we can do something.
5: Yeah. Uh, just there's some suggestions I can just wear red on the day donate, obviously. Seventy five percent going to Marymount yes. and twenty five to the GAA. Yes. Get your school group or your Zoom meeting. Absolutely. Photos. And are looking for people I think who were at the matches in nineteen ninety.
2: Yes. Um, we will hopefully on that day. Um, uh, a stream a lot of interviews and things like that um, and that people will be able to um, uh, go in online and you know what I mean, different interviews different podcasts over the next number of weeks, you know what I mean mm. um, and uh, you know the awareness of, of amount the donations uh, and um, they certainly will be appreciated <laughs> and hopefully that we can make this a a, a very worthwhile uh, venture. We'll certainly mention it again along the way. uh, It's for a a great cause, there is no doubt about it and as you said earlier yourself there's probably not a family in this county that haven't, some way or other have had an association with it Um, and as I say if if, uh, the boys now James and and Delic and and Connor uh, you know they started this off, and um, now it's kind of the the, the Marymount people and 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 and, and um, Paula and Sinead from the Carr County Board. You know what I mean? And um, it's all shoulders. Here's to the wheel. hoping it'll be a cracking. I, said, success. I hope it'll be a huge success, a crack- and there's no reason why it won't. Because look, we're we're probably all you know. We can't go out and celebrate. We can't go out and have a you know. But. Everyone that's anyone in this county, or you don't have to be living in this county. You can be living in Dublin in a car person, and we're encouraging to, you know, wear that little bit of red in the day. You can be in Boston or San Francisco or New York or wherever, that's and you person. can still donate and 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 um, and be a proud car person for. Mm-hmm. Well, we're proud Cork
5: people every day now. Yeah, we're we spe- are, yes. Especially proud well. on that day. Listen, I'll, 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 I'll leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Niall Cahalan, who played on the football team in 1990. He spoke a Teddy, who played on both, the one and only man to ever do it. Someone saying Tip and Cork have both won the men's double twice. That might have been in the minor. We're talking to the senior here, and of course, the ladies and the camogie have won doubles, but the men's senior hurling and men's senior football, Cork are the only county to ever do the double. Teddy Mac was the only man in history to play in t- in a double, in the d- two parts of a double. So 16th of September, raise some money for Marymount. 1850, 715, 996. Actually, Derry has been given away on oldies and Irish over the last few months. Some Some lovely shorts from suit distributors who have done a special short. They commissioned a special short for the double. And Derry's been giving them away on all and Irish. I'm not too sure if he still has them, but they're gorgeous. 1850 Now, I haven't seen it yet. I have it recorded. and I was reading the various threads on it. The new series called The South Westerlies, which is based in, in West Cork. And it's about wind farms and objections to wind farms and planning permission and all that. It's got an impressive... An impressive cast, Patrick Bergen and Soroka Cusack and Orla Brady, and it's set in a place called Carrageen, which is a, a fictional West Cork village. Now, it wasn't filmed there, but anyway, we're not really talking about the television show. It's about the whole wind farm thing. I noted on my holidays when I was up in the, 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 the north that there's loads of them up there, and as you drive around Cork City and County, you'll find more of them, and drive down towards Kerry, you'll find more of them. It is a sustainable way... To create power from the wind, and God knows we get a lot of it, but there's a lot of objections. For every time you are going to put up a windmill, somebody objects to it, and I think that's kind of what this series is is about. But Joe Noonan from Noonan Linen, Carrot and Coffee. Joe, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you, Joe? Why is it that so many people have a problem with a sustainable source of energy when we need sustainable sources of energy?
15: That is a brilliant question. And if you go back a few years, it wouldn't have been a question at all because everybody was welcoming this idea. Everybody was in favor of it. And everybody was looking forward to having you know, a wind turbine near their home that they could look up at and think, great, that's a contribution now to saving the planet. And so the question maybe first to come at is what changed? And I think what changed was experience and in many cases, too many cases, not every case, bitter experience, and compounded by that experience then turning to complaints to the authorities looking for protection, and unfortunately no protection being forthcoming in too many instances, and that has alienated people. We're a small country, word gets around, and, and that has poisoned the atmosphere. I think if people wanted to really bring ireland along the road of this particular corporate style of renewable energy uh, they've really gone about it the wrong way short-term mm-hmm. financial gain at the price of long-term sustainability within the community there are other things that could be done independently which have been frozen out like allowing people to sell surplus power from their homes by way of excess from yeah. uh, uh, panels on the roofs or, or small-scale turbines on mm-hmm. their own land that's that's outlawed at the moment mm-hmm. uh, and that's benefiting the big big corporates who are putting up very large industrial sized turbines and in some cases not all but in too many cases too close to people's homes yeah. and the noise is driving people mad. Now we'll focus
5: on that one. I, I don't ever remember hearing a noise as I passed a windmill yeah, you wouldn't. but then again I wouldn't pass close enough. Yeah. What, what, it, it's the noise and what other problems are there?
15: There are two big problems and they're quite different but in their own way very insidious and you do have to experience them to actually feel in your gut what it's like to live with them 24-7 noise. And it's even a series of different noises, uh, which we can come back to in a minute. Is it a buzz? Is it a uh, hum? There is a combination uh, of separate noises which can be the classic whoosh 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 from the turbine blade going through that they call that aerodynamic noise there's a hum from the electric motor that can be screeching if it's not properly lubricated Uh, a lot of people use the words it's like listening to a plane that never actually lands or other people use terms like it's like a washing machine outside my bedroom window those are different kinds of noises but the most insidious is kind of low frequency noise that you really can't shut out of your building no matter what you do and you're in bed at night everything else in the kind of world is quiet around you and and these noises uh, penetrate the room and there is no escape and, and is it is that
5: uh, attached to every wind farm
15: it depends very much on a couple of factors one is the the height and the power output of the turbines themselves the other is the location of the turbines relative to your home so for instance you will have locations where there is not a problem uh, and for instance, in a, in a flat terrain, particularly uh, uh, terrain that absorbs the sound, you can have harmony. Uh, you can have turbines at a distance that um, will not create a problem. Um, but if you have, uh, and in our experience, very very definitely, uh, the features that cause problems and are predictable problems are uh, turbines on a higher elevation than your home. So your home is down in a valley or at a lower uh, height than the turbines. Um, different wind speeds therefore so you can have quiet still conditions down at your home at night uh, while you have fairly hefty wind at the top of the hill and then right. bear in mind the height of the turbine pushes it up maybe another 100 metres or so so you can have very very serious and profound uh, noise coming as a result of that which is well known and, and known to And isn't that everybody.
5: governed by planning law that you can't put them close? That, that's, that close?
15: That's the theory. You were talking earlier about the great days of 1990 and and 30 years on and the celebrations of that night and so on. 24 years ago was when they started devising the guidelines that remarkably are still governing where they're put, even though so much has happened since then. As we all know, uh, turbines have gotten taller and noisier and more powerful, but they're still governed by science that was devised and turned into guidelines back um, decades ago now at this point. Uh, And unfortunately, so the system is two problems. One, old guidelines that aren't fit because they didn't envisage the problems that we now have, didn't understand them, Uh, science has moved on. Um, And the second problem is that The regulators, and this was the feature of a Supreme Court case back in December, uh, don't actually consider or hadn't considered until the Supreme Court told them they were wrong, uh, any more modern up-to-date science so you can put in as much independent research as you like saying this is now a real problem and uh, the planning board was taking the view that we don't, we're not allowed to look at that because the guidelines say it'll be grand. Supreme Court said in a case we brought in December uh, you can't do that. You're supposed yeah. to be a neutral referee. People will have to live with the consequences of your decisions for years. They have to be given a fair shake. You can't not look at the material they give you uh, and so that hopefully will bring about a change. But that change hasn't been seen yet, really. Can can we
5: put them harmlessly up a mountain, Joe? Because I I know there's two down near me, down in Ring of Skiddy, there's two huge ones down there. Yeah, they're a good example
15: of a a good, I'd say, well-planned pair of turbines. And one of the unique features about those turbines is they're built of uh, concrete towers. They're not built on metal towers. Um, so if you then, that's why it's important to distinguish between places that are well-built, well-made and well-managed and well-located compared with places that are stuffed full of turbines of a uh, nature and a construction that are, uh, means that there's going to be a noise problem. And then you need to listen to the people. And that's the other problem. Local authorities are getting a lot of money from rates. They're very dependent on that money because they have uh, little enough coming from central government. And I have to say an experience uh, that we see is that local authorities are uh, not inclined to enforce planning conditions, even if the conditions are enforceable in the first place, which is not always true. So you have a combination of conflicting interests going around here and the small uh, voice out in the countryside uh, is being uh, is being left uh, okay. outside the door.
5: All right. And and you speak, of course, as a, a pretty committed environmentalist yourself, Joe.
15: Well, my main uh, commitment, I suppose, is to the law and making sure yeah. people's rights are respected. And, and that's, unfortunately, in too many cases at the moment, Not happening. Uh, forcing people to go to court. And the courts are recognising that this is a real issue.
5: All right. Listen, we'll catch up again, no doubt, sometime. Thank you very much. That's Joe Noonan from Noonan Linehan Carroll Coffee. They're propping up all over the country. More and more of them. And I guess unless you have to live near one, you don't realise that they're not as lovely as you might think.
4: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on courts 96 FM. Yeah, coming up, a book that is so frightening,
5: you actually don't realise how frightening it is until you're told that it's 100% true. It's a story of gangland, murder and mayhem and drugs and it's all true it's coming up in just a moment tom says there are objections to things since the beginning of time without them the world would be running so smoothly we wouldn't know how to live if you watch tv listen to the radio read the internet it's all objections it's only natural that you'll get objections to this too but it seems to have caught the media attention well, you know, Tom, as I drove around on my holidays, there's a particular place you'll see them up in the north. When you drive from Coleraine to Derry, there's a long, straight stretch of road there, and there are dozens of these things there. I'm just remarking, they look lovely in the summer sunshine, going around and around and around, but I hate to be living near them. It can't be, it just can't be easy uh, to, to live near them. On the subject of Cork and the Double 30 years ago, if we could get Niffed. Frank says to lock down Dublin Kilkenny Kerry and Limerick then we could do the double again nice idea nice idea plus the, the short for the 16th September for the double where can they be purchased the special shorts are at Soup Distributors um, you'll find that they commissioned a special shirt for them uh, Derry was given the way on Olders and Irish during the summer. That's why I said he'd given a mention. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email for the show, opinion at 96fm.ie. I'm joined by Nicola Talent, who is well known to readers of the Sunday world. And she's written a new book called The Witness which is the true story of gangland murder in Ireland and how Joey the Lips O'Callaghan shattered the underworld code. And it's getting rave reviews uh, everywhere that that you read about it. And uh, Nicola, good morning. Good morning. Congratulations on the book. Um, I think the most frightening element of it is that it reads like a novel and yet it's completely true. That's the scary bit, and that it's based in in this country. Tell us who Joey O'Callaghan is. Now, that's not his name anymore. He lives under a new name now. But who is he? Who was he?
16: Yeah, Joey O'Callaghan was a a young man who grew up in Ballymun in Dublin. Um, In the grip at the time of of a heroin epidemic, um, he... And his family moved out to Blanchardstown after his mother had worked three different jobs to try and save the money so she could move the family in hope, in the hope that they'd get a better chance in life than, than living in, in, in the, in the towers in Ballymun. And unfortunately that move led to sort of a cataclysmic sequence of events for Joey. He initially befriended a, a chap across the road who was a younger brother of, uh, if you remember the, the gang known as the Westies, who yes. were two of the most notorious drug dealers um, ever, really, even even to date. And it was the younger brother of, of one of those. And he sort of, like, the mother nearly kind of brought the family from the frying pan into the fire, really, where, where she thought she was bringing them to safety. Mm. They ended up in more danger. In an effort to kind of keep him away from that house, she allowed him to take a job on a milk float, Um at the time, the, the milk drivers used to go around in the evenings and collect money, and you'd often see kids on the back of the... Uh, I'm sure it was the same in Cork. It, you'd see the kids on the back of the, um, mm. of the floats, and they'd go in and collect the money, get a bit of pocket money first. Yeah. So she allowed Joey to get a job on, on one of these and to try and keep him out of trouble. But unfortunately, the milkman was actually using his round as cover for his, his heroin and cocaine distribution yeah. network.
5: So a man called Brian Kenny, wasn't it? And, and, and Joey was only 12 when he first got involved with him.
16: He was, and he was very quickly, he was groomed. We talk about now children being groomed by these, these drug gangs, and it's very much akin to paedophilia. Um, you know, they'll get them to do something, and then they'll heap guilt on them. And really, that's what happened to Joey. He was only a few weeks working for him when he got him to deliver heroin through a letterbox one night. And then he he threatened him that he'd 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 tell his mother on him or, you know, he slowly brought him further and further into his world until Joey was essentially as a as a teenage boy living with Kenny up in his compound in North County, Dublin. You know, for all intents and purposes, to to his mother and the outside world, he was getting an apprenticeship as a as a milk delivery man, as in carpentry and various other things at the house. But what was happening in reality was he was being used yeah. for financial means by Kenny. He was being used to deliver drugs, to move sh- to move large consignments of drugs across the city. Sometimes strapped to his body and underneath the leathers from his motorbike, um, he'd be forced to move hundreds of thousands of quid worth of, of drugs. Um, the
5: book outlines how he realized as his teens progressed he was getting more and more inveigled with this fella, but he couldn't get away from him. He'd no way of getting away from him. So there was the straw that broke the camels back. There was two, wasn't there there was an attack with a hammer and then mm-hmm. there was a murder. Tell me about the hammer attack first.
16: That was actually when he was quite quite young and was was working with him on the on the on the, the milk truck. He they pulled in one night Kenny saw another van go by and a young guy on the back of it and he he pulled in and reached down under the seat where he grabbed a hammer and in the darkness Joey heard him grab the, the young guy only about the same age as him and he dragged him into a garden over a wall and started beating him basically to pulp. He heard the hammer go down, he heard the bones break, the screams and he was terrorised and actually many, many years later when Joey would... Get the help he needed for his mental health issues in in the Priory Clinic in the UK, they would identify that moment, that attack, as being what triggered his post traumatic stress disorder.
5: So, Joey himself was very graphically uh, described in the book. It's almost too graphic to to quote, in fact. Yeah. You know,
16: you said in the beginning it reads like fiction. I actually started the book, I actually started writing the book in my own words, as myself, basically. And I must have been halfway through it and I realised I had no place in that world and I had to pull out of it and, and let Joey tell the story himself. So I sort of ripped it up and went back to the beginning, which is a very hard thing to do, um, and wrote it in jo- Joey's voice. And I think that's probably why it's so it's, it's, it's so graphic and descriptive of, of that
5: terrifying. world. You know? the, the murder of Jonathan O'Reilly in 2004 was, I think, breaking point for Joey... Tell me about that.
16: So he would have been living up at uh, Kenny's compound at the time, bagging heroin, selling the heroin for him. Kenny had befriended another very serious drug dealer called Thomas Hinchin from the Clondalkin area, and Hinchin wanted to own the Clondalkin territory, which would be big, big drug area, uh, very lucrative um, part of the city. There was another gang operating there and Hinchin wanted to take them out. So he had it all to himself. So one day himself and Kenny left the, the Mitchellstown cottage on a motorbike. And when they came back, there was panic. And they called Joey down to a shed out the back where they were they would stripped and they were washing themselves in petrol. They handed him the, their leathers and told him to go and burn them in a stove they had at the back of the property and, um, and then they handed him a gun and told him to bury it. And he knew the minute he was given the gun that something terrible had happened. It was on the news within an hour or so that there had been a murder outside Clover Hill Prison. A 24-year-old had been killed. And Joey was being threatened that, you know, he was to basically get rid of the evidence. And if he ever spoke, they'd blow his head off and they'd kill his family. And But he knew he had to he had to escape at that point. It was way outside his moral code that somebody would be murdered.
5: He turned Um, state's evidence and, of course, then he had to go into witness protection. He was the youngest ever, wasn't he?
16: Well, he was 19 years of age when he sat in a courtroom and he gave evidence which convicted Kenny and Hinchin, very dangerous gangland criminals, uh, of murder. So they got life sentences. Um, And, yeah, he was on witness protection. You know, look very important arm of the state in fighting organized crime witness protection um, a witness is protected until they give the evidence and then they're given a new identity they're helped relocate to a new jurisdiction and it's sort of hoped that they will you know find a new life for themselves but in joey's case he was too young and probably too damaged to do that he was um he was given his new identity and his new location. He had to say goodbye to everyone and everybody he'd ever known, including his mother, who he was very, very close to. He was told to say goodbye to her in a car park and never see her again. I mean, I I, I don't know whether we can ask that of anybody for doing what essentially is the right thing. Do we have many
5: people in witness protection, Nicola?
16: Look, witness protection is very, very useful, and, and people... More mature, maybe can go into it and and you know find a new life and and we do. I mean, some people go in with their with their families and it's very necessary. It's the only thing that can convict a lot of these guys because their modus operandi is obviously to intimidate or indeed kill anybody with evidence that could convict them. Um, but Joey would complain that he wasn't handled very well on it and that his psychological needs weren't met while yeah. on it, I, I would be absolutely inclined to agree with him yeah, yeah. and, you know, people can make their own mind up if, if they if they read the book yeah. as to regards whether he was cared for or not
5: Are there a lot of joys out there Nicola? Like, like could, could we have a joey here on the north side of Cork City going through what he went through as a kid? Do
16: you know, the thing is, there are loads of them and so few of them emerge from that world and emerge with the ability to articulate their stories and what happened. It's a, it's a rare, it's a really rare thing to get somebody to be able to describe it. I mean, look, that's pretty much why I did the book. I, I'm i lazy as regards these things called books. I have enough in my own job in, in journalism to keep me busy, as you can imagine, but... Um, I just felt this really was one of those stories so worth telling. You meet lots of people along the way and in, in my job. You meet the good and the bad. And there's lots of good people in that world who are just lost and they can't find their way out. and they,
5: Practice, isn't it?
16: They are. They don't know how to look for help or where to look for it. There's fear everywhere. It's ru- ruled by fear. Yeah. And, you know, I think hopefully that maybe his story will show that there is a way out. You know, it's not perfect. Mm. But there, there is a way, and and you know, if if the system helps you, yeah. you, you know, there, there's a way, there's a way out of it. And also, I think really everybody needs somebody there. That you know, in Joey's case, he had his mother. She was always there, always ready to you know, no matter when he emerged from it, she was there to take to, to to take him back and to support him in yeah. any way she could. And I think. Some kids don't have that, but if they just had an adult that was constantly, you know, telling them that one, they were there, one, one
5: good adult. As well, hus- that's it. As a parent, it's 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 a salutary lesson to those of us who are parents to keep an eye on the people that our teenagers are associating with. Be aware.
16: Oh, look, absolutely, absolutely. I don't know the answer to how you keep kids away from it if they if they've started to gravitate towards it, but you know. You sort of, look, when you're younger, you make stupid decisions, don't you? It's not kind of like when you're older, looking back. I mean, I look back on some of the things I did in my teenage years and I just terrorises me that I, <laughs> I thought it was a good idea at the time. Our brains aren't fully developed until we're, we're we're older, you know, that we don't make these stupid, rash decisions to get involved in things. And it can literally just be a moment that somebody just does one thing and all of a sudden they feel... That that's how their life is, their life's path has gone. That they they have to go down this road.
5: I strongly suspect that one or two parents might read this book over the next week or two here in Cork and think of their own youngster and hopefully avoid someone becoming the next Joey. Um, you you obviously met him and spoken to him and and all of that. What's he like? What kind of a and what what age is he now, Nicola? He's 35. He's
16: a really good person, actually, Joey. He really is inherently a good person. And I think that's why he did the right thing, which was to come forward and give another family solace in their grief. You know, he didn't know the O'Reilly family at the time, but he was just so horrified by the murder of a young man, a 24-year-old, you know, in his car. Jonathan O'Reilly was a the murder victim in this case, was a, a father. You know, a young father, and he had his whole life ahead of him. And I think it's just a measure of what Joey's like to mm. to realise that he he felt that that family needed justice, even though he didn't know them.
5: He he was um, risking his own life to do it.
16: I met Joey a long time ago when I was writing about the witness protection program, and I knew he had been the youngest person signed up to that program. And I wondered, I knew he'd given his evidence in two thousand and five. I wondered where he was and how he'd got on. And I sort of reached out maybe to try and talk to people who knew him rather than him. And I I got, I found his mother and, um, you know, she told me that Joey wasn't in such a good place at that time. And I tried to meet him on a number of occasions and he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't dreadful. But when we eventually did meet, he was in a really bad way. He was really suffering. He was very, very frightened he um, he needed he needed help with his anxiety. He's, t- he's terrified
5: now, of course, that Brian Kenny will will be getting out of prison soon.
16: Well, listen, like the thing is that Joey has served each day of that life sentence with them, albeit that he has been able to open the front door and go out. He's, he has really Brian Kenny terrorised him in a lot of ways, and and you know the details in the book of the abuse that he suffered at Kenny's hands. So he. Kenny has actually just been granted a parole in that he's moved, been moved to an open prison and he would be likely to be released in the next maybe two years. He has enjoyed 14 day releases over his time in prison where he's been able to spend time with his family and for family celebrations. Joey would argue that he hasn't been able to, to do the same. Um, and yes, the threat is always there that they will retaliate for what's seen as the breaking of the gangland code of Omerta, that they will blame, and obviously they will blame Joey for being locked up for so long. And And Nicola,
5: does the system afford him, the system that he assisted to convict these thugs, does the system afford him any assistance now?
16: Well, Joey is is living outside the jurisdiction now, and he has um, protection now, but there was a long fight to get that But he lives with, you know, he wears a bulletproof vest wherever he goes. He would be very, very careful. Uh, He's his his first line of defence, there's no doubt about that, because no matter what protections you have in place, you do have to live a clean life where you're aware of your surroundings and what's going on. You can't let yourself get involved in situations that could, you know, that your defences would be down. But he has he has uh, alarm systems that are connected to emergency response units and he's everything I suppose that can be provided but he has to have his own wit more than anything else it's an and, awful
5: way to have to live isn't it
16: Yeah and yeah it is and he has got used to it and um, that's the way he, he does live but okay. nonetheless he, he hopes to while he is fearful of his future he just Seems to have the ability, and maybe people who've been through such trauma have to learn how to do it. But he seems to live one day at a time and uh, enjoy each day.
5: Clearly, that clearly, he has. clearly a man of great courage.
16: Indeed, yeah. and you know he did it for everyone. He did it for us all, really, because witness protection is is a state-run, state-funded. Paid for by the taxpayer. We, we actually, as a society, have the witness protection. So we, as a society, can stand shoulder to shoulder with people who are brave enough to stand up in court and be witnesses, give evidence. That's why it's there. So,
5: Okay. It's, it's, it's a, a gruesome story told, like you said, in his own words. A gruesome story and all the more gruesome for the fact that it's 100% true. Nicola, thank you very much. That's Nicola Talent. From the Sunday World, her new book is called The Witness, the story of Joy Ellipse O'Callaghan 1857 There's a traffic problem on Cars Hill, a major traffic problem we think on Cars Hill, Ken Perrot is there.
4: There's a vehicle broken down on Cars Hill, it's actually a car transporter truck, um, it's where Cars Hill breaks into two lanes, it's blocking up one of the lanes, but it's just as you round the corner, just beyond the Shannon Park roundabout, heading towards the city centre that cause mayhem. Thanks, Ken. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
9: us now, 1850
4: 715 996. On Court's 96 FM.
5: Yeah, that's a, a fairly gruesome story. Uh, Dee uh, D says, listening to Nicola talking about the book, wouldn't be a great book for first year's and definitely a Christmas book for my family. Great variety of topics today, as always. Thanks, Dee. A Christmas book. <laughs> Somehow can't imagine reading this book under the Christmas tree. Mind you, we, we, we may not have a whole load of other things to do at Christmas other than read books and watch telly the way we're going. So you never know. Might be an idea. Yeah, if your family is the Sopranos, you might like that book. family, anyway... You know, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Rachel was on with me in the second hour of the show today about horse racing and she feels as strongly about horse racing as some people feel about greyhound racing, and she feels it should be banned that using horses to race to make money for people is wrong. And she feels it's cruel and it should be wound up and wrapped up. Jamie, good morning. Hello? you're a jockey
17: um, yeah I am yeah well I used to be but um, I, I, I've been through it like you know and um, I've been through it all I've seen it with my own two eyes I could tell you PJ that woman is totally in a different planet because the only reason why I say that is because I've seen it with my own two eyes in these racing yards right. these race horses are treated actually better than humans at times you know you know what you see it on Teddy; they're jumping they're getting whipped but these horses are trained to do that. They're born to do that, you know. So, um, you know, I know sometimes they they get fatally injured. But behind all the scenes, behind all the races, the way look, the horses are looked after are from are 10 out of 10. Like, and this woman does not see that because I've seen I've been in a good couple of racing yards, and to take nothing away from what she said. Mm. She 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 posted
5: a video on her Facebook of a horse um, being pulled out into a parade ring and clearly not wanting to be there and wasn't being treated very kindly now, to say the least. And and you know her views are and I guess a lot of people would have said similar to yourself that the horses are looked after better than humans. They might have said that about greyhound racing too a couple of years ago, but now we know that not to be the case.
17: Yeah, exactly. As I said, I've seen it with my own two eyes. I've been in France, I've been in England, I've been in Ireland, and I've been in a couple of stables. Look, if, if you want to put it this way, PJ, we all like like we all get hurt and we get injuries, people, you know what, whatever, but I think she's just living on a different planet altogether. As I said, I've experienced the whole lot myself. and um, it, it it's our own opinion. Yeah. But if you get hurt, yeah. hurt
5: playing another sport, if you get hurt playing hurling or football or rugby or running or whatever, you had a choice to take part. The horse doesn't. Yeah, but you see,
17: the minute the race horse is born, like, they're a fool, and then, you know, they're, they're born, they are born, you Intuit. know, to yeah. race. They're, they're, like...
5: Well, I think Rachel's belief is that that's inherently cruel, that to actually breed them to race to make money for people is well, inherently
17: cruel. I, I disagree. I disagree with that because, you see, there's two seasons. You'd have your flat season and you'd have your jump season, right? Yeah. And then when the flat season's on, the horses go out on holidays, like out the grass. They get about two or three months holidays and they'd be out in the field for two or three months at grass. So it's kind of like ourselves. We, we can kind of get, I don't know, is it four weeks off a year? Mm-hmm. The horses probably get about two or three months a year off. You know, if, if it's either the flat or the jump horses, you know, they, they get holidays like ourselves and they're just out in the field for two or three months enjoying join themselves, and then they're brought back into work. Sure, if you, put, like, if you put it this way, what about the horses 30, 40, 50 years ago when they were all plowing, plowing fields for 12 hours a day? So sure, that's way worse, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, if you want to like, put it that way... Like, like, well, they
5: were farming... You're right, they were, they were, they were pulling plows... Yeah. To, to propagate crops that we needed for food. So effectively, that labor was necessary.
17: Yes, but they were probably doing it for twelve hours a day. Like you know, especially in the summertime, like they were out all day pulling and pulling and pulling. Yeah. The, these horses are only. they might one. Well, to, you know, a race could be over in four minutes. I, I know. I know there could be some fatalities when they jump hurdles or fences or even on the flat, but. Behind, behind all the scenes, when they're at home, before they go to the races, they're 10 out of 10 treated. Okay. If there's something wrong, they're bringing they the vet straight away. Okay. I, I just think, you know...
5: You wouldn't agree?
17: I, I, I totally disagree, because the only reason why I'm ringing insane is because I've seen it with my own two eyes, like, you know?
5: All right. Good to talk to you, Jamie. Thank you very much for that. That's Jamie Hayes. He's a jockey. And he said there's no way that you should be banning horse racing because they're better treated than the humans thanks Jamie 1850 and a little bit of breaking news uh, the so called wet pubs this is emerging we think from cabinet or wherever it's emerging wet pubs will reopen subject to local conditions in other words they may not reopen everywhere subject to local conditions on the 21st of September which is Monday week is it is it Mon- Monday week I think yes the 21st of September, Monday week, subject to terms and conditions. That's been decided, we believe, this morning. I just mentioned those shorts uh, that Derry was given out during the summer to mark the cork double. These are from suit Distributors. The lads have been on to me uh, to ask me to mention that the cork double shorts is on sale at their shop in Ballycorine. And for the next two weeks, uh, Marymount will get a donation of ten euro from the sale of every short, and so will Cork GAA. So good on them. suit distributors in Ballycarine. 1850, 715 eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We mentioned the pubs opening on the twenty first of September, which, by the way, someone reminds me is the International Day of Peace. Take from it what you will. And the pubs, if they get back up and running with every restriction, you know, some people will welcome it, some people will be nervous about it. But we hope it goes well in whatever way, shape, or form it takes, it kind of leaves just one industry completely banjaxed. And that is the arts. Theatre, music, cinema, TV. And a lot of people are speaking out now about the fact that the arts need a plan. They need a plan to get them through this and out the other side. And that maybe it's the people in the arts who currently are... A lot of them out of work with nothing to do. Maybe they could be the ones to devise the plan. One of the people speaking out has been Shane Ken, Shane Casey from the Young Offenders who joins me. Billy, how's it going, boy? Hi, PJ. How are you? I'm Grand Shane. Lovely to talk to you. Read about this. The, the, the industry has been really, really banjaxed, hasn't it, in the last six months?
1: It has really. Uh, the legs have been, um, have been cut off while the momentum was getting going with I suppose shows like the young offenders, and especially as we saw the success of normal people over uh, the lockdown, yeah. and the industry was really getting going in Ireland. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it kind of came to a halt. And uh, but I, I think at the moment we are hopeful, PJ, because I've had a few castings and auditions myself. Good. So I think uh, you know I think the, the positivity is definitely there. Even within the short period of time that I did that interview with the Echo, which I'd say was about uh, maybe three weeks ago now, um, I think the concern was insurance issues that if stuff started up again and then we were going back into lockdown, um, which I think everybody was fearful of, uh, but I, I think it's looking a little bit more positive now. Uh, thanks God, thanks be to God, or whatever you want, yeah. whatever way you want to put it. So I think. Things are happening. Uh, My suggestion and what I've heard from a few people was that isolation of cast and crew members uh, would have probably been an ideal um, scenario, you know, that people were limiting... Their contact with people, and then you know it would be a little bit more successful. And then yeah. I, I yeah. had the idea myself of well, maybe private testing, if that was viable, private testing, just to make sure that people
5: don't have uh, yeah. COVID. Like something I personally have missed desperately is, is live theatre. Uh, I remember yeah. last year I'm going to see your own show, your own wet paint show, yeah, in, in Father and st- stuff like that. I really miss. I think so do a lot of people. But all we're being told is it's not possible to do it at the moment.
1: I think, I think it is possible. I have to, I have to go from that side of things. I think it is possible because maybe just for the pantomime and stuff like that, if the kids are back in school together, can't we bring them in in a safer way? Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. can can it be explored because? pantomime is for most part it was certainly my introduction to theatre and a very positive introduction to theatre because it's fun and it's not elitist and it's inclusive and just to think of my friends uh, in the Everyman and the Opera House and uh, all over the country this year who were out of work mm. because of pantomimes like that and, and the revenue that it does bring into venues especially the Everyman that it, it almost subsidises
5: the rest of the, yeah. the rest of the year, you know. I've been talking it's, to them about it because they made yeah. the decision very early to to cancel the pantomime. They felt they had no other option but to do it. But the sheer yeah. financial hit that it makes that that the theatre takes as a result of that, I, I don't know about the opera house one whether that's still on. Although they've lost, they've laid off a lot of people lately, so I don't suspect that yeah. one will go ahead. Like, that's a massive financial hit for theatre in Cork that the pantos won't go ahead. How could you bring it back though, Shane? Do you think?
1: Well I I don't know I don't really know how they could bring it back I would suggest taking the seats out and maybe just trying to do it for school kids and bringing them in whether it's walking them in or bussing them in or something along those lines or have it some 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 way subsidized uh and and having a scaled back show like I think the saying the show must go on is there for a reason I know myself I've had to do shows and missed I've missed out on weddings and funerals over the years and 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 that's, that's the saying within theatre for for a very good reason. But I understand where they're coming from as well, PJ. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to put uh, anybody's health at risk, you know, and I think that the, the decisions being made by, I know, Julie and the lads inside the Everyman and, and maybe in the Opera House, I don't know, uh, have to be made because these are the government guidelines. But partitions within spaces are an idea or site-specific work. We know the, the work that's been done by Dark and Various site-specific companies in Cork over the years has been really, really successful. So, could we use um, pods? Could we use uh, have people being brought into the schools? What can we do? But I, I believe it'll be the creative people that will come to the come to the conclusion or the solution to the problems.
5: You, you know, you mentioned in the interview that you said, it's not just actors and writers. These are the people that we, the ordinary public, think about as actors and writers. But as producers, it's stunt people, it's designers, the catering company, the sound engineers, the riggers, there's thousands of people affected here.
1: Yeah, that you don't see the money that it brings in to the country, when, especially within the film industry, well, theatre as well, but even with transport, you know, transport, captains, taxis, uh, catering, I suppose you've gone through more most of them there but there's an awful lot of people that we don't see behind behind the scenes and, and they're reliant on that work as well you know and they normally they're like they're almost like circus people they move from one job to the next to the next and they are a family and mm. they, they've certainly over the last few years on the Young Offenders become a family to me and I, I, I love and respect these people and the dedication and the craft that
5: they put into and it's, it's funny worrying. that you mentioned the Young Offenders I was going to go there yeah. Shane because yeah. you know when they were filming particularly this, the second and third series around town and the various locations yeah. we used to get calls here jeez they're doing the Young Offenders there's dozens of people here
1: jeez yeah. who
5: are all these people
1: there was great, there was great excitement, especially the, you know, with the scenes. Um, I was lucky to be off in season one, where uh, we were filming in town and I got to see the lads filming in town and see the the, the group of people gathered outside Paul Street yeah. when they were doing the dance on Carey's Lane there. And to think where Peter Ford had brought it from—that they probably did that originally within the film, and nobody was paying any attention to there being maybe 100 people, 150 people watching it. So it was a great excitement to the city, yeah. whether you're into the show or not, and I understand it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it'd be very short-sighted to, for people to be knocking the industry when it provides so much jobs, whether it's the painters or carpenters right. or tradespeople, you know. It, it, it's like It's like the food industry, really, because we do need that sustenance, and I think... If we start drying out of shows, if we do go back into lockdown and we dry out of shows over the next six months a year, we're gonna know about it because yeah. we all that's missed That's happened the in the cinemas, we have known we, the movies. We did, we missed the soaps and look I'm 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 a big I'm a big James Bond fan myself and I was really annoyed <laughs> that the film was has been put back and put back and then uh, luckily enough, that the cinemas are starting to open again. And I, I had uh, the pleasure of going to the screening of the uh, new Christopher Nolan film. And it was done quite well. It was just like, look, we're going to block off these seats. You can use these seats. Yeah. And, and you, you have a bit of a distance and the cinema staff come in afterwards and clean up. And you you just have to be cautious of the people yeah. around you. And, and I think respect is the word that we need to remember. Whatever your belief is, once we're respectful of everybody else, things yeah. can be a lot safer the you know, knowledge know I mean? and the
5: understanding is there let's just bring it together and, and find a way to to, exactly. to work it just before exactly. I move on yeah. I, wanna, I, wanna, I, I want you to stay with me because Conal yeah. is wants to talk to me about Culture Night which of course it all ties into the one subject yeah. but you divil Billy Murphy made me cry and he never what? laid a hand on me Well, Myrtleville Beach Shane
0: Hey, that was but. the
5: most incredible moment on television in a long time. It was gorgeous. I didn't figure out where they were going. Where is this going to lead?
1: That day was um, a very, very special day. I'm not a, a very spiritual person or any anything like that, but um, I, even talking to the cast and crew recently, you know, we have a kind of a group chat. Uh, we all agreed that that day was very, very special, especially with the drone shot at the end, where you can see us at the end, <laughs> that it's gone out. The, the camera just rises and rises. But you can see, if you look in myself and Dominic hugging, and that was a real genuine moment between us that, you know, maybe this is it, who knows. But it was a very, a very, very special day, especially to be down there. And the fact that all of that stuff happened in Myrtleville and Crosshaven recently with the, what do you call it, the plankton in the water. I just yeah. thought, Jesus, it's mad. It's like, yeah, we, we'll be okay here because we have beautiful people and we have beautiful surroundings. And hopefully... I think the show showed that every episode, that, you know, even with the false and the bad language and, and the, the troubles that those characters had, and let's be fair, it is only a show, that it did have a bit of heart. The
5: people at heart, and the city certainly has heart. Shane, that's, that's, that's the magic. And you, you said it in a Facebook post that Billy has been so good to you. And if you take Billy, if you take Moira, if you take Jock yeah. and Connor, they're, they're, they're characters that we all yeah. know, obviously a bit exaggerated, but we all know them. We did, yeah. I we remember. We know someone like that.
1: Yeah, we. There was a couple of scary characters around in Cork in the eighties and the early nineties. I'm sure a lot of people remembered when there was a thing of people being thrown into the fountain and thrown into the pond up in up in the uh, Fitzgeralds Park. And uh, I, I remember being in Mandy's years ago and God a couple of oh lads amazing. who were probably probably about four or five years older than me only at the time trying to break into a stock room while we were. When we were trying to queue for the bathroom, and these characters would kind of appear every now and then, you know, and and there was definitely people to base it
5: on, you know. So um, and there wasn't or, any real harm in any of them. No,
1: really. there no, there wasn't. There wasn't really. Um, I I I remember seeing a guy getting punched one day, and it was kind of. I was like, "Why would you do that?" The confusion in that within me was like. Was massive, and then to add on the line, even within the show, to say, "Oh, tell your mum I was asking no. for." A- I always felt, fellas, that were beating people up were always kind of beating themselves up, and in another way, you know. And funnily enough, I only ever had, to be honest with you, I have a couple of friends from Mayfield now, but I had a couple of friends from Mayfield when I was in college doing my apprenticeship, painting and decorating. And unfortunately, the poor chap isn't isn't around anymore. And the same when I was doing my acting course in school. And I feel those two lads are really looking after me, those two lads from from Mayfield. And every time I'm up around there or the Glenfield, I feel like it's a little gift from, you know, those two lads.
5: Well, I know you've been asked a hundred times about... Series 4, and I know that none of you genuinely know, but we all do hope against hope that it will happen uh, sooner rather than later. Shane, hold on there, because I want to bring in Conal creedon uh, who's the Culture Night ambassador, um, and uh, before I do that, mentioned live theatre and how important it is, there's a, the Cat Club is starting a live show tomorrow night for a week, limited yeah. to 28 people. It's the importance of being earnest directed by Finola Dahl O'Neill seven night run completely sold out which is good
1: that's amazing yeah I think that's I know great. a couple of people involved in that and just to get the shows going even if it is very limited that, audience I think that'll be good for that's, people
5: that's, that's great,
1: morale, that's, that's a great boost. morale and you know yeah it'll be good for the city just to get things going
5: stay there from, with me a second Cornell, good morning hello PJ how are you good not too bad at all um, culture night coming up and it will be a culture night different from anyone that ever went before <laughs>
18: It will, really, you know, and I suppose realistically, uh, like most things, you know, we're, we're all grappling with this whole thing. Like life has gone online, no, really, and you know, it's what Shane was saying there about live theatre and you know venues, and it's it's just getting people into venues that it's an issue. But I, I suppose uh, in a funny kind of way, like culture is continually in flux anyway. So I mean, the, the reaction to let's say the pandemic is our current culture and going online is that and if there's any good to come from that, you know, for example if you have family in Boston or if you have family in Australia or whatever you know, a lot of the events, so for example if there's the Tour of the Everyone um, Everyone Palace or Lord Mayor Chamber they're they're all going online Um, a a lot of readings um, Blackrock Castle, so you can just, you know, phone your friend or your, your, your son or your daughter and just say, you know you can you know now visit Cork online for culture night, and that is I suppose if you want to look for like a you know a bit of a lining in a cloud that that 's one of the good aspects of this right, but realistically, I think uh, the magic of families, mammies and daddies and babies around the town on, on culture night it won 't be that this year, but there are a lot of venues open and um, but it's that massive I suppose crowding of the streets that that really won't be there this year you know
5: which we'll, which we'll miss and we we'll miss desperately and, hugely because and, yeah. uh,
18: you know it was my favourite well my favourite to say, it was certainly a highlight of my year because I used to, I remember before Culture Night when they were talking about it being an event way back or a few years back uh, there was a sense of yeah but you know can we just let people into the market this time of night and it was amazing how the democracy I suppose of the whole thing of, particularly the family things of mammies and daddies and babies out at ten o'clock at night, actually made it such a sweet city to walk yeah. around. You know, and um, um, you know, um, it, it was very special, and it still is. And I think it's important to keep it alive. And there are enough events.
5: There's a huge that are number happening. of events, a huge yeah. number of events, and and.
18: But, but th- but the outdoor ones that you can go to actually come into town. Like I, I there's something on in latitude, and um, but I know the waterworks is open this year. And um, of course, then there's the whole cut of the campus. Um, you know, the, the that Elvier Butler album that was brought out 40 years ago. This year is yeah. being like toasted and hosted Hello. outside this, the library and that's fairly magical because if you think about it, Cars' of Campus, that album, which is a punk album or post-punk album is 40 years old. (laughs) Like, no, right? (laughs) And I'm thinking when I was 60 or when I was born, 40 years prior to that w- was the First World War and I really can't see people like Simba Adonley and these people that I knew and know like people like Keith and Ricky and Philip O'Connell and Gordy and all those people Liam, don't I-, I can't get my head around the fact that this is a 40 year time lapse because mm-hmm. I still listen to that music and it's still current and
5: See, is it, isn't culture. that isn't that what we're talking about, Conal? You're going through the stuff there that's on, that's in the outdoors and in alternative ways. And it kind of brings in what you were saying too, Shane. Like people in the industry, Conal with his involvement, Shane, yeah. you with yours, everybody. The time now is pull, everybody pull together and bring yeah. what you have to the table to try to make sure that this wonderful culture, a culture of culture that we have in this country, that's saved.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: it, well, you yeah, go first, sorry, Colin. Sorry, sorry uh, for cutting the car- cross no. you, corn. I just yeah. uh, was thinking of my old mate there, Michael Sands, was telling me he he had a recording of The Cure, um, not the band, your play, and ah. uh, he, he, he he was recreating... Uh, he, Michael likes to go for a walk in the evenings and he was recreating the following, following his nose scenario where you're oh, describing God. your grandfather walking oh, through the streets. Out over the a score of walking around the streets of Blackpool and and even when you're bringing in the lads there now about non attacks, you know it, it's yeah, yeah. due to everybody trying to push the board out a little bit more and just trying to be creative that it, that's what makes the c- uh, city so great, you know.
5: Can you imagine in this uh, world where we must now speak also so carefully, if someone launched a band called Non Attacks in 2020?
18: Well, yeah, fantastic. well, you know, I suppose what I find interesting is that back then, like, as in when that band and, you know, Mean Features and all that, that whole sort of, I suppose, culture of its time uh, would have been frowned upon, you know, like it, like kids in school, kids who went to Nathan's school, for example, like would be taught you can't wear your, you know, your trousers that high and your your boots outside of them, and you can't have your tight, like, or your, you know, your tie tight so tight and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's not anti-veneering, and now it's sort of celebrated by the city. And I suppose that's the magic of culture, really, that often culture, as we know, it, we don't see it until yeah. we're all, we are We grew up with it. But can I just say one thing, PJ, Go because ahead. I know you're probably under pressure, that all of the stuff for Culture Night is online. And it's online, it's a very easy one to get. It's um, IE And it's really clearly marked out that the, the, the it just, you know, you click into what's happening and you get a full schedule of... Brilliant. You know, what's in venue, what's online, and what's outdoors, and the stuff that you can amble around there. shop windows, um, gallery windows. There's um, a lovely thing in Miss Pat's bar. It's um, Maureen's bar, actually. It's Connor, but it's um, it doesn't online. I don't know Maureen's. is there. I know it but, very well. Yeah, I
6: know it very well. well.
18: She's having a, a nice celebrating the old, the previous previous owner, Miss Pat. And it's sort of, um, I suppose a folklore project for find Brilliant. out stories about Miss Pat who was epic in her day. You she was a legend. What so,
5: we will do is throughout next week we'll mention stuff that's coming up and we'll probably talk on the day on the 18th itself. It is the 18th isn't it? Friday week. We will talk about Culture Night and, and the events but I just wanted to get the conversation going today. Great opportunity to have you with us Shane. Thank you both and we'll talk again and Shane uh, con- continued success to you and in, in everything that you do and thank, please, thanks very much. please pass but, on our thanks to the crew from the Young Offenders when you're talking to them for the great I will, work of course, yeah. entertainment Absolutely. they do.
6: Absolutely.
18: Uh, I'd like to add that too. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant for the town and, you know, have people working at that level, you know, that level of... of
5: faster and work. And so Demi's and one of the family here, and I was well in 96 FM, so it all ties up nicely. Could I
1: just say, PJ, that sweet yeah. factory is back open again, if someone would run up and get me some clover off,
5: <laughs> there I pick come up off and when I'm down, the week. There's a queue. Shane, talk again to you, mate, and Conal Creighton, thank you very much, and what a lovely, bright way to end the show today. We'll get this culture back, we'll get the arts back, we'll get the theatre back, we'll get it all back, if we can get rid of this blasted COVID, work around it, there's a story breaking that double and Limerick are on the knife edge of more restrictions. Oh, well, that's Dublin and Limerick. We'll be grand. We're Cork. We'll be fine. Sod <laughs> Limerick. I'm getting it down my ear, old, but that's okay too. Thanks, D. To Thanks, Fergal. See you tomorrow just after nine.